Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Wednesday morning. Plenty to get to throughout the course of the show tonight. We'll get to the Phillies a little later on as we discuss with Jody there in the the crossover. Um, I stand by my take that Joe Girardi mismanaged the bullpen the last couple days. I understand the Phillies won, and I'm happy the Phillies won. I'm happy Jose Alvarado was able to come in in the ninth inning and get the job done. I'm happy he was able to set the the Nats down one, two, three. But just because the result is a positive one doesn't always reflect a sound process. And, like, I still don't understand the managerial decisions in Pittsburgh. My mind has not changed on that, uh, despite the Phillies getting the win in uh, the first two games of this series. And while I'm glad it happened, um, I don't think the ideal situation for Joe Girardi and the Phillies was to have Jose, Jose Alvarado coming in in the ninth inning to close that game. And that was the byproduct of the decisions that were made the last couple days. So we'll get into that a little later on. And the Phillies victory as they have now won three straight games. And it's just the same old thing with the Phillies. They lose two in Pittsburgh. Everybody's down on them again. Now here they come back. They win three in a row, a game over 500. The Mets lose again. 
So the Phils creeped to within a game and a half of New York in the National League East. Um, I believe still two back in the loss column, uh, but they are inching closer. Braves won as well tonight. So a very crowded race at the top of the NL East. Uh, Phil's a game and a half back. Atlanta, two and a half games back of the Mets. And the Phil's, the, where's that series at this weekend? Mike is that's at the bank. Wow, how about that? Are you going to be boots on the ground for any of those any of those matchups this weekend? Yeah, I'm looking forward to um probably get all three. Wow, get all three. Wow, get all three. <laughs> buying buying tickets for that, or are you press passing it? Well, I go to every Sunday game. I have the Sunday plan, so I'll go Sunday, oh, nice. and then um yeah, I mean I'll probably use um Friday if not Saturday. Where are your seats for that Sunday plan? One ten. Section 110. I used to have seats on a Sunday plan in Section 104 out in right field during the uh, nice. during a good era of Phillies baseball. I had them for three years, 08 to 10. So that was a nice, uh, nice little nice time period structure. right there. Yeah, you know. And then uh, tickets got a little pricey. And hey, I got out at the right time. I'll say that I could have could have hung in there one more year uh, for the 11 season, but I got some good enjoyment out of my three seasons. And by the way, uh, you know, not to toot my own horn here, but. 7-0 and at, e- at Philly's postseason games, so I'm potentially a good luck charm. I'll have to make sure if they do get in this year that I'm uh, I'm in attendance, whether that's enter- engineering the games or or, or buying tickets. <laughs> you know, maybe down, I'm yeah. the good luck charm here. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll get more into the fills a little later on in the show. We will get to the Eagles later on as well as practice kicking up. They put on the pads on Tuesday, which is always a, a big day. Uh, down at the Novacare Complex. We'll give you the reports from camp. Um, the latest on the left tackle battle, which is seemingly being decided pretty early on in camp here. And a rookie that is impressing down at the Novacare Complex. So we will get to that later on. I believe the morning show is down there on Wednesday, so they should have a whole host of guests. I'm sure they'll have Coach Sirianni, uh, Jalen Hurts. They usually get the coach and the quarterback and uh, some other notable players. So that should be a fun show to listen to on Wednesday morning. But where we will start tonight is with the Sixers, as they have had a quiet start to this offseason and this free agency period. And as we told you last night, they made a couple minor moves following the opening up of free agency at 6 p.m. on Monday. They re-signed Furkan Korkmaz, a three-year deal worth $15 million, which, man, seeing some of the money that is flying around on the open market, uh, a fine move. Um, And, you know, I think Korkmaz is a guy that's improved, and he's a guy who will provide a skill that you are lacking, uh, certainly if you you. Don't bring back a guy like Danny Green. You need guys who can shoot. And Furkan Korkmaz is a shooter and somebody who can help you in that regard. So they made that move. They also waived George Hill. Now it looks like George Hill is going back to the Bucks. The Bucks will bring him back uh, to provide depth. They lost P.J. Tucker. Uh, Bucks brought back Bobby Portis, which kind of surprised me. I thought somebody would overpay Bobby Portis on the open market. But he goes back to Milwaukee. And it seems like George Hill will be going back there as well. Then on Tuesday, first, the signing of Andre Drummond to a minimum contract. I got to say, I did not see that one coming. Um, But Andre Drummond 
comes back, he will back up Joel Embiid. And that should be interesting considering the history that he has with Joel Embiid. What are your thoughts on that move, Mike? Uh, That one came out of left field. I did not see Andre Drummond to the Sixers uh, coming at all. Right. I mean, I guess um, because it starts with, I guess, at least I didn't. I didn't think he was a minimum player at this point. Right. right? I thought he still had value as a, you know, he'll get, he'll just, you know, roll out of bed, as they say, and get 12 rebounds. Kind of like Jill Okafor. Yeah, I thought he'd get, you know, some sort of deal that would be uh, greater than the minimum, but who knows? Maybe he wants to come play for a, a contender, maybe boost his value a little bit. Uh, you know, figures in those 15, 12, 15 minutes a night he plays, he can he can uh, put up some numbers. And, hey, it's a solid a, a solid guy to have in the holster for when you need to sit Joel Embiid. I'll say that. You know, a guy who's played a lot of minutes and, and probably the best backup center Embiid's had in his time here. So well, I'm okay with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, but yeah, I guess so. I yeah, it, just, it wasn't. But great. but Horford was signed to be a power forward, which you know. Well, also they did sign him to be the backup center, right? So. Which is kind of ridiculous to pay him that kind of yes. money to be a backup center. But yeah. um, you get uh, Drummond in here, interesting move. He's an upgrade over to White Howard. I'm fine with it, uh, I guess. And they also signed George Niang to a two year deal. Niang, a six seven power forward, he's played his first five seasons in Utah. I actually, I don't know why I remember. I, I remember him from a Iowa State. I believe he was yeah, in, in the tournament. There. Decorated he's like player. A team leader type guy, if I remember correctly. Well, he's the best player, I think. Right, and that's kind of how all those guys are portrayed in college, I suppose. But, um, you know, a stretch four. He sh- he's a 40% three-point shooter um, and should add some shooting, floor spacing, something the Sixers need. So it's it's fine. I'm fine with George Niang. He's not. He, I think two years, six point seven million. So you're not breaking the bank there. So Pushes your boy out. Who's my boy? Replaces Mike Scott. Oh yeah, yes. Thank God. Uh, you're right about that. I didn't even think about that. But uh, Mike Scott will be gone. Thank God. Uh, the hive, the hive will uh, be extinguished forever. Um, but as the Sixers make these minor moves, the elephant in the room continues to be Ben Simmons and the fact that he remains on this roster with really no clear resolution in sight. And when we entered the offseason, it was clear that the Sixers were ready to move on. Like, almost immediately, they meet with Rich Paul. The reporting over the last couple weeks has done nothing to, you know, uh, Suggests otherwise when you look at the fact that you know all these reports that he's being shopped, Sixers talking to teams, uh, conversations with multiple teams, Sixers receiving offers, Sixers making offers, and the reporting as well that on the other side, Ben Simmons would welcome a change of scenery. That I believe the quoting was that Rich Paul and Ben Simmons are quote in step with what the Sixers are doing, and both sides are looking at this point for a divorce and a resolution that will send Ben Simmons elsewhere. And when we hit this offseason, I was confident that despite what happened in the playoffs, despite what happened in that Atlanta series, the frustrating nature of it, the embarrassing nature of it in many regards for Ben Simmons, I was confident that his value would increase as we move forward here. 
And, you know, I don't know if it has or not, but the Sixers are in this very unique situation of wanting to move on, but also wanting to win now. Like, typically for a team trading a player of Ben Simmons' caliber, one that was a contender last year, if you're trading a guy like that, you know, typically you're going into some sort of a rebuild or a retool, and you're at least taking a step back for a year or two. But that's not how the Sixers viewed this situation at any point. Like, they are looking to go for it right now. They're looking to accelerate this process and put a player around Joel Embiid and put players around Joel Embiid that can maximize his potential and maximize what they can do as an organization. And when you're in that situation, you also need other options out there that allow you to do so. And, you know, the Sixers, as they came into this offseason, and this is kind of the risk that Daryl Morey ran here, is that they needed things to work in their favor. They needed things to happen around the league, you know, whether it's guys like Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal or Zach Levine to ask out of their current situations. Because in the NBA, you know, when players do that, typically they can get their way. Like, if Bradley Beal, for example, had gone into this offseason with a couple years left on his deal and said, I want to get out of Washington, trade me, I'm not going to resign, typically the Wizards would almost be forced to cooperate. I think Lillard's situation's a little different considering he's got four years left on his deal, and if Portland really wanted to play hardball, they could, but typically when that happens, teams cooperate and teams look to move forward, whether you look at the Anthony Davis situation when he kind of told New Orleans, trade me, I'm not re-signing, get me out of here now. You know, there are countless examples of this happening, James Harden, uh, over the past couple years. And the Sixers kind of needed one of those things to happen. And unfortunately at this point, that does not seem to be the case. I mean, you look at Bradley Beal, there were, you know, there was kind of hope at the beginning of the offseason that he'd ask out. There was hope last Thursday when I was at the station doing 6-10 to 10, um, for Gilio, and we're sitting here before the show, and I'm talking to John Marks and Tucker, and the Russell Westbrook trade goes down, and we're kind of thinking, okay, well, this could be a precursor to Bradley Beal demanding out, Washington going into a rebuild. That does not seem to be the case. It seems like Bradley Beal is okay with staying in Washington, that I guess he really didn't enjoy playing with Russell Westbrook that much. They get Kyle Kuzma back in a deal. They get Montrez Harrell back in a deal. They signed Spencer Dinwiddie. And apparently that's enough to appease Bradley Beal. I don't really get it. Like, if I was him and I had any desire to win anything, I would want out. Um, But apparently that's enough to keep Bradley Beal in Washington, he doesn't seem like he is going to be demanding a trade anytime soon. Well, wait a minute. Or what if he just understands the fundamental aspect of he signed a contract to play for the Wizards, therefore he's going to play for the Wizards? Fair enough. But typically, 
that's not something in the NBA that players care that much so about. Sinister. I mean, you look at, but it's not, I mean, it's not something they usually care about. Maybe Bradley Beal's different. Steph Curry but, sure does. Like, well, Steph Curry's examples. playing for the Warriors, you know. I'm talking about guys but, but on, like, He made bad, them the Warriors. Right, but guys on, like, bad teams. Like, guys on bad teams that are perennially bad teams and aren't really um, in the market to get any better typically don't want to stay there. Like, uh, it's like, I don't know. I don't think Bradley Beal is winning anything in Washington. Like, do you see Washington turning anything around? Do you think this Kuzma no, trade no. is, is the, is like going to unlock uh, something for them to, to turn things around there? No, but I, I don't think that's his thing or like, that's what he's saying. I, or that's what he's thinking. I, I really do think he's like, you know what? I, they've been great to me here. Good fan base. They like me. I'm popular here. I'm comfortable. I'm getting paid. Well, I'm fine with this contract. Potentially, and and if that's that's his if that's the way he wants to look at it, that's that's fine for him. I mean, I I would rather him want to go win something selfishly, of course, because I would like to have Bradley Beal. But uh, whatever, if he wants to stay in Washington, that's fine. That's his choice. You like you want this to be a world where if a player doesn't win the NBA title, he's to immediately like opt out and like find the next situation. No, not win the NBA title. I mean, like get in the playoffs and not be like a bottom end team in the East, like. What is Bradley Beal hasn't been any better than a bottom what rung team in the East for how long? I mean, it's, I guess it's, since uh, the John Wall shot, right? It's been a, a long time, four years, and I, I don't think anything's going to change. You know, you look at a guy like Zach Levine and kind of the potential that he could become available if the Bulls look to retool and. Levine's a guy with, I don't know, a year or two left on his contract. Maybe that they would look to flip him for a guy like Ben Simmons, go into a mini rebuild, and kind of retool around a guy who's more cost-controllable. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. They go out, they sign Lonzo Ball to a massive contract, which I think that's a massive overpay for Lonzo, Lonzo Ball at $85 million. Now they sign and trade for DeMar DeRozan, um, and it seems like, they're not going to be looking to trade Zach Levine. It seems like he is going to stay in Chicago now as yeah. well. How many guards did they sign? Like yeah, I don't week? get it. I like. I guess they're just not going to play defense at all. I don't know. But that team, uh, whatever. I, I, I just, I've always kind of thought Demar Derozan's not very good. So I don't, I don't really get it. They got Vucevic last year at the trade deadline. They're going to try to win. They'll probably be like a playing team in the East, maybe a little better. Um, but so be it. It doesn't look like Zach Levine's going to become available. Damian Lillard, who we had talked about, and there was a lot of smoke. And I think this is kind of really the final hope for the Sixers at this point, And that maybe things might pick up when Damian Lillard returns from Tokyo. But at this point, it seems like Portland, they sign Norman Powell. They do a few things that I don't really think if Damian Lillard wanted some sort of commitment and wanted to win. I don't think this is going to change his mind a whole lot, but that smoke, that talk has kind of died down. And at least at this point, it does not seem like a Damian Lillard trade or Damian Lillard being seriously shopped around the league is imminent. And here sit the Sixers with options that are significantly dwindling. And for the first time, you know, we're really faced with the possibility that Ben Simmons could be back. I think it was kind of a foregone conclusion amongst many that he would be gone. That when the Sixers have the 
desire to trade him and Simmons has the desire to leave, that they would find a deal that would be workable and that this trade would go through at some point. But that takes another team to come in and give you something that you want. And I don't doubt that the Sixers want to move on. But they can't just give him away for less than market value. And Daryl Morey knows that. And this is the the nature of this situation and what makes it so difficult and puts the Sixers in a situation that is really not advantageous at this point. And this could become a very unhealthy situation because of the very public nature of all this. And on the Hoop Collective podcast a few days ago, Brian Windhorst, Tim McMahon, they talked about the Sixers and how they made a mistake making this so public. I don't see how the gap shrinks unless Simmons goes and starts playing much better. Well, and this my whole thought. scenario makes it harder. So I think their best, their better move would have been to just say, we're not, they know that they can't get what they want. So I would just say, we love Ben Simmons. We're going to bring him back and we're going to be even better next year. We have, we're great this year. We're going to be even better. And we're not absolutely not trading Ben Simmons. Don't Which call Darryl, us. Daryl is perfectly capable of lying through his teeth on the record. I mean, yeah, and that so, still might be coming, but let's be well, honest. It's too nobody, late now. Nobody's going to be, yeah, nobody would believe it. Ben Simmons right. wouldn't believe it. Of course. Most not. importantly. So, and this is the problem the Sixers are in right now. And this just seems to me like a very bad situation. And as we really look at the market and these options dwindling around the league, where it doesn't look like a Beal trade is going to happen. It doesn't look like a Levine trade is going to happen. Willard, I guess, is the last hope if something changes in the next couple weeks. You know, who knows what kind of reports will come out that maybe, you know, when he gets back from the Olympics, he decides to meet with Portland and just say, this isn't enough. I I want to leave. But barring something like that happening, we are faced with the very real possibility that the Sixers may need to go into next season with Ben Simmons on the roster. And this is the question I have to start to show tonight. Can Ben Simmons come back? Can he return to the Philadelphia 76ers? Like, and we'll get more into this in the next segment, but I don't think that would be healthy. Like, I don't think in many ways this is going to end well. But the Sixers may not have a choice. And I want to know, do you believe there's any way Ben Simmons can come back and this can work with him on this roster? And did Daryl Morey already botch this situation? Because I think that's a, that's a very logical question to ask at this point. Where he was so vocal about it. And the Sixers were so, you know, seemingly eager to get this out in the public, and did he misjudge the market? Because I think Daryl Morey thought that there was going to be a much larger market for Ben Simmons than there actually is. And it's something I was guilty of as well. Because I believed that as we moved more into the offseason, we got further away from the playoffs, that teams would forget, would, would kind of look at the good and see the good with Ben Simmons and disregard the bad. But everybody watched that playoff series. And everybody watched him fold against the Atlanta Hawks. And this is the problem that the Sixers find themselves in right now, is they made it known they wanted to move on, 
Everybody in the league knows the Sixers want to move on. Everybody in the league knows Ben Simmons wants to move on. But if there's not a deal out there, you can't just give him away. And I want to know, can Ben Simmons come back? And did Daryl Morey screw this up in a significant way? 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Starting off talking about Ben Simmons as the trade um, options for the Sixers are dwindling. It seems like this could be headed in a negative direction. And when we get back, we'll get to some more sound from the jump a couple ESPN reporters gave their take on it and why I believe Ben Simmons coming back and this working with him in Philadelphia is pretty impossible at this point. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. Mike, do you have any interest in this basketball, this amateur basketball tournament that's going on right now? Um, the basketball tournament? The, the basketball tournament. Didn't it I end think, tonight? Yeah, it did end tonight. But how yeah. do they not come, they can't come up with a better name, by the way, than the basketball tournament? No, that's a cool, crisp name. I mean, I don't know. I think you can come up with something cooler than that. Something a little more creative. Not very creative to me. I'm just... Uh, it just came to mind because I'm I'm on Twitter and I'm seeing uh, a video of Eric Devendorf, which is a great yeah, name. Oh, Bayheim's Bay Army is the, the name of the Q's team. Was Johnny Flynn there? I didn't see. I don't know. I don't know if Johnny. I remember, they were running mates. Okay, it was yeah. It's Devendorf. Who was the other guy Devendorf played with on that team? The the little guard. Uh, oh, Jerry, Jerry McNamara. That guy. That guy was so annoying. Um, but he, I think he's an assistant on Bayheim's staff now. By the way. Um, but yeah. it was pretty cool. This one kid, Kiefer Sykes, made the game-winning shot of the basketball tournament. And like within minutes, Shams tweeted out he signed a one-year deal with the Indiana Pacers. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, but- nice, nice job by that kid. I guess uh, he parlayed his shot into a into a into a deal. I'm assuming he's had talks with the Pacers prior to that. But nice little uh, capper for him. Nice night for him, I'd say. Um. And we should say uh, shout out to Jake Pavorsky. He's very involved in that tournament. Oh, he is. Yeah. Oh, okay. What is what does Jake do for for the basketball tournament? He's pretty inv- like he's. I, I don't know if I don't know if he's in charge of it or he runs it. Like he's like he does a lot for that. I, I know, like I remember that. Wow. Okay. Uh, so g- good good stuff from uh, Jake Pavorsky, former morning show uh, intern, former yep. street team member. Um, so good good stuff from from Jake. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. But starting off talking about Ben Simmons, because, you know, as this offseason has gone on, I think we all expected that a trade would go down. I mean, all the reporting and everything is kind of pointed in that direction. That The Sixers were looking to move on. The Sixers are ready to move on. And Ben Simmons, on his end, was ready to move on. But you need a market for a deal to get done. And... You know, I think it's fair at this point to question whether Daryl Morey botched this situation and whether he misevaluated the market out there and what he would be getting in return. 
And, you know, as this moves forward here, the Sixers are going to have to play the game and they're going to need to now try to dial it back a little bit because, you know, when you see so many reports and you see asking prices and you hear about the meetings with Rich Paul and, and, and clutch and everything, you kind of, you know, the Sixers are looking to move on, but now it sounds like they're trying to dial that idea back a little bit. And this was Ramona Shelbourne of ESPN on the jump on Tuesday, giving her take on where the Sixers are right now with Ben Simmons. The Sixers are open to bringing him back. The Sixers are, in a lot of ways, I think they would prefer that. I think they would prefer to say, we don't want to trade this guy who can win the Defensive Player of the Year, who is a young superstar in the making. Just come back and let's let's work on this. But I don't. It doesn't seem like there's a there's a bridge there that is being walked across by both sides. Like I don't think I don't know if Ben Simmons has that interest right now because I, I think things were said afterwards after the season. Doc Rivers said some things. Joe Embiid said some things. I know there's been trying to smoothing out of that relationship, but it doesn't seem like Ben is necessarily interested in that right now. Now, I don't believe that the Sixers would, quote, prefer to bring Ben back. I think they would prefer to get a player who they think is an all-star caliber guy who fits better around Joel Embiid and move forward in that direction, or else they wouldn't have gone down this road to begin with. Like, that's what they would prefer, but they really have no choice at this point than to play this game and act like, okay, well, if we're not getting the offers we want, we're perfectly fine with bringing him back. But at this point, it's just hard to believe. And now Ben Simmons doesn't want to be back, and I just don't, I, I, I just don't see that as being the Sixers' real point of view here. Here was more from Zach Lowe on how he sees Simmons' future playing out. Uh, I agree with Ramona. I think the Sixers would like to bring Ben back. Ultimately, in a new team context, maybe he looks better because his trade value right now is just not where Daryl Morey wants it to be. And that's why I thought when Kyle Lowry went to the Heat, I thought the most interesting follow-up question was, okay, Philly wanted Kyle Lowry. What do they do now? Because if there was a universe where they could get a quality perimeter player, change Ben's role a little bit, it was plausible, at least in theory – Ben kind of morphs into a better player, different player, trade value up, and now that seems to be out the window. And like Ramona said, maybe the toothpaste is just too far out of the tube. And, boy, if he's, if he's on the roster when training camp starts, I'll be very curious to see what is going on at that time. And that's what I mean as far as an unhealthy environment. And you bring him back in this kind of situation after all that's happened, I just don't see it playing out well. And Tim McMahon and Brian Windhorst on the Hoop Collective, they talked uh, more about that and what would ensue if Ben Simmons does end up coming back and reporting to training camp with the Sixers. We'll get to that one in a, a second. There we go. And there's no doubt, like there's no doubt every question to everybody would be Ben's status. Ben would be dealing with the trade questions every day. But at this point, 
I don't really know what other option you have. If you don't get a deal that you like, I don't know what other option you have than to bring him back. Wait a minute. So let's say Ben Simmons is on the Sixers roster for the first 30 games and Embiid's healthy. At minimum, like, what is the worst case scenario? Like, they're going to win at least 500. Like, they're, I mean, they'll probably go like, what, 20 and 10, 18 and 12. Like, it's, they're not going to be a bad team. Like, I don't know. Where does it exist where the Sixers are going to all of a sudden be a bad team no, I if don't, Ben Simmons returns as their point guard? No, I don't think it necessarily comes down to wins and losses. I think it's an unhealthy situation. And I'll get more into that in a minute here. Because when you look at this situation and what happened, I just don't know how it works. I don't know how it works with Simmons within that locker room, considering everything that transpired. They all failed together, all of them. Like they all, it's not like Ben Simmons failed like in three different series, and then Tobias only you know failed in one. They all failed together. I get it. I get it. But in a minute, I'll, I'll get to the, the the sound because you know I just don't. I think we've gone past that point. And I think we've gone past that point, whether it was, and it really doesn't matter whose fault it was. Like, whether it was Simmons' fault, whether it was Embiid's fault, whether it was Tobias Harris's fault, Doc Rivers' fault. Well, it does if you're, other, no, no, no. It does if you're saying if the locker room is going to make it a thing. Well, like, I'll, I'll, uh, let me talk to Harold, and then I'll get to the sound in which, you know, I let you know why it's not going to work. Like, because it will not work. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's go to Harold in Seattle. What's up, Harold? How you doing? Great show. Um, like always, um, I hope you don't come back for his own sake. The Philly fans, we booed Mike Smith. Did you know that? Yes, I they did. I did Mike. know that, Harold. They booed Michael Irvin when he got hurt. I mean, we are, I mean um, Philly fans are smart and they expect people to play hard. Now, the fans should look at the owners, the coaches. They should have sat him down the first year saying, you have to shoot during the game. If you know, if we're winning, every shot you shoot should be a three or away from the basket. I don't blame Ben for this. I blame the coaches. And Well, I mean, a, ben, ben played his role in this, Harold. I mean, all, there are a lot of reports that the Sixers tried to get him to do this, and he simply refused. Like, Ben played a role in this himself. But let me ask you a question. Why do they let him use his brother as a, a trainer or a teacher? That's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, because, I mean, in the NBA, star players do what they want to do. Like, the Sixers tried to get him to work with the people they wanted him to work with, and he wouldn't do it. Like, he wanted to work with his coaches. He wanted to work with his brother. And at that point, like, what are they, they going to do? Like, you, you can't really do that. I think if he come back here after born. The great uh, Mike Smith was Smith was one of the greatest baseball players that ever lived. He was a third baseman, if I recall. Uh, and you know, I hope he don't come back for his own sake. And one more thing, I think he'll be better off going to Rikers Island than coming back to these crazy fans, to me and all these crazy fans in Philly. And great show. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I got you, Harold. I appreciate the call. You won't because I'm not on tomorrow, but I appreciate. It. But. Uh, the the fan aspect of it, that's not what I'm talking about here. Like, honestly, the fan part of it, that can be, you can move past that. Like, that is something that if you're playing well and you need to, the fans will move on. That's not, I think, a long-term issue. And if it was just about the fan point of view, yeah, I think it would work bringing him back. But it won't, re- it won't work for Ben Simmons back in Philadelphia 
because the trust has been completely shattered. And all you have to do is look back to Game 7 and what happened immediately after Game 7. And as the Sixers lose that game and they're dealing with the fallout and they're dealing with the frustrations, you know, sometimes things are said that you can't take back and that can't be unsaid and can't be unheard. And I think this is really the heart of the matter here. And this is why the Sixers, more than anything, decided they wanted to move on and why Ben decided he wanted out. Because remember back all the way to Game 7, and immediately after the game, Sixers lose, he doesn't dunk the ball. Here was Joel Embiid postgame on what he saw as the turning point. Man, uh, I'll be honest. Um, I thought the turning point was, uh, uh, you know, when... Um, we, um, I don't know how to say it, um, but I thought the turning point was just, you know, we had, uh, an open shot and, you know, we missed, uh, we made one free throw and, uh, we missed the other and then they came down and scored, uh, and, uh, we didn't get a good uh, possession on the other end and Trey came back and he made a three and then from there, uh, down four, uh, and then I go. I he's uh, on me. I turn the ball over uh, and try to, you know, make something happen. And there it is, right there. I mean, Joel beat after the game, saying, "Yeah, the turning point was when Ben Simmons didn't dunk the ball." Like that is exactly what he said there. And there is, in my mind, no coming back from that. And here was Doc Rivers as well after the game when asked whether they can win with Ben Simmons as starting point guard. Doc, you think Ben Simmons can, can still be a point guard for, for a championship team like the one you guys want to become? Yeah, David, I don't know that question or the answer to that right now. Um, you know, so I don't know the answer to that. And when you hear stuff like that, whether you're on Simmons' side, whether you're anti-Ben Simmons, regardless of where you fall, I don't see a way that he comes back into this locker room in any sort of healthy way because the trust has been shattered. Embiid and Rivers clearly don't trust Simmons on the floor. Simmons, I don't know how he could trust Embiid and Rivers after they throw him under the bus after that game. So I don't know. I don't see a way that this works. Do you, how do you see that relationship being repaired, Mike? I mean, I don't Come see that being repaired. No, you got to give him more credit than that. Like, Doc Rivers, like, he's not just, like, some, like, schmuck that's just, like, like inhumane. Like, like I don't like, have you ever, like, I don't know, you've been through, like, disagreements with friends or whatever, or, like, you're sorting out for two other people, get like, no, 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 like, you're wrong, like, Embiid, you're wrong about this, you missed your free throws, you had your turnover, you, you ran out of steam all these games, like, you don't, you know, we'll talk to you in a minute, but, like, Ben, you gotta, like, clean up your thing, get, you know, hit the free throw line, whatever, like, Doc River, give him some credit, he can sort this out, and, like, hold both of them accountable and say, like, guys, like, you need to win this, to, like, to get, like, let's go, like, it, this is your team, figure out a way to make this work, it is what it is. This is our squad. Let's go. Like, give him some credit. Like, he's done that before, right? Yeah, but I don't think it comes down to Doc Rivers. It comes down to Embiid and Simmons and whether they can trust each other again. I just don't think, like, I don't think Joel Give him Embiid, some credit. I don't think Joel Embiid will ever trust Ben Simmons on the floor again. Ever. After no, what he did in that series, I don't think he will 
ever trust him. And from Simmons' perspective, and I actually get it from Simmons' perspective here, I don't think he'll ever trust Joel Embiid again. That's supposed to be his guy. It's supposed to be his co-star. And Joel Embiid threw him under the bus after that game. Like, I do think the personal element of it matters. Well, and I wait. that Game 7 and those comments were a turning point. And that kind of thing, I don't believe you can come back from. I don't think that's something that you just put in the rearview mirror. When Joel Embiid says, yeah. It takes time. He said the reason we lost is because that guy let us Well, and he was wrong. Okay, but that's what he said. Like, Doesn't you, matter, but, you can but, think he was wrong. I don't think he was wrong. But the other but people in the room can figure it out and that. sort it out. Like, they don't just, like, it's not like it's just, like, they're just, like, children. And it's just, like, they're incapable of getting over stuff. Like, they're, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they, they're grown men. Like, they can have disagreements and sort them out. Like, Doc Rivers has been in, like, intense locker rooms before. Player and coach. You know, the, the Celtics. That was not an easy team to manage. Like, I, I don't, like, he's getting a big paycheck for a reason. It's time that they... They lean on their coaching staff a little bit and not just like for once, like freak out and blow up the starting lineup for like the fifth straight off season. And, you know, Simmons to like Simmons knows he sucked. I think, I think he knows that. Like he's very aware that hey, we got videos today. He's tweeting out videos. He's in the gym. He's shooting jumpers. Yeah. Well, like, why does he keep doing that? I don't know. Like that's, that's, I agree. That's I nonsense know. at this point. I agree. I agree. Whatever. Like it, it doesn't matter until like what he looks like. You know, October, November, and real games when you know the shots are there and they pass them up. But yeah, like this doesn't have to be rebuilt overnight. Like it will probably take half a season, maybe even more, of like Ben bringing something new to the table. You know, like whether it be a seventy-five percent free throw game, whether it be all of a sudden he's like a backup center. So like he's got to bring something to the table. He can't just show up and like be the same like shell shocked player he was. Like that. Like obviously that that's like. Task number one. Right. And then from there, Embiid, I would think that, you know, he's able to, like, figure it out enough that, like, if Ben shows that he can be, like, kind of reintegrated back in, like, the NBA stardom and, like, the all-star stratosphere, then, like, I don't see what, like, why would he hold it against, like, not sound like Jody Mack here, like, is he supposed to hold it against him for 50 years? Like, he, he can get over it, right? I mean, we'll see. I mean, and there's no doubt that if this, and, and hey, they might not have a choice. Like, I'm not saying... It's not going to happen because the Sixers might not have a choice because you're not trading him for a D'Angelo Russell package. Like uh, you're not doing that. So I don't. I'm not at that point where I'm just giving Ben Simmons away because I think it would be uncomfortable. But as far as like him being here long term and them really fixing this thing, they're going to have to have a sit down and they're going to have to figure this thing out because those comments. I don't know. I think they're a bigger deal than you do. I think those kind of comments, when that kind of thing is is said, and Joel Embiid clearly felt strongly about it, because you could tell he sat there, and whether he was right or wrong, I mean, I understand his frustration. I do think he could have handled things differently in that moment. I don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do to a teammate, even though I get his frustration at that point. You know, he considered what he was going to say, and he said it. And right when he said that, I just, I don't know how that relationship gets repaired. And that's kind of the way I look at it and how I don't, I just don't think it would be healthy. Now, I want to know from that perspective, and I would like people's opinion on this. Do you think that the Simmons and Embiid relationship can be repaired? Because the trust in that game seven was broken. And maybe it can be put back together. Maybe they can... 
find a way to coexist. And as Mike said, it's going to be uh, many ways dependent on Ben Simmons changing what he does and becoming a different player and having a different mentality. But can that relationship be rebuilt? Because more than anything, more than anything about Ben Simmons fit on the floor, because you could bring him back and he could raise his value and you could trade him at the trade deadline. But more than any of that, the locker room dynamic, I think, is what is extremely concerning here. And do you believe that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons could have a sit down and they and they could uh, figure this thing out here um, and really uh, sort this out and rebuild that trust? Because I think that trust was broken that night of Game 7 after what Ben Simmons did on the floor and after Joel Embiid's comments afterwards. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Uh, Rob in Doylestown, see you there. We will get you right when we get back. Rob wants to talk about the Phillies. We will get to the Phillies when we return. So Rob will get you right after the break. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Wednesday morning. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Wednesday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Uh, Talking about Ben Simmons and whether he can return to the Sixers. I mean, whether it's healthy for him to return to the Sixers and whether Daryl Morey botched his situation because... You know, I do think that Maury believed that the market would be a lot more substantial than it's been. And it just doesn't seem like it deals there. So uh, talking about that and also the Phillies, they win five to four. They have now clawed to within a game and a half of the Mets uh, in the NL East. Mets come to town this weekend. That's going to be a fun three game series. Uh, probably the biggest Philly series. When was a Philly series this this important at this time of the year, discounting last year. I mean, if you throw out last year, which it's kind of crazy that last year basically started in this position we're in now with the baseball season. Like, it just it kind of, when, when you do look at it, starting with 60 games to go, that that's not large enough sample size. But, yeah, so be it. Clayton Kershaw, uh, not a real World Series winner, right? Yeah, no, not. Do he's it. not. He's not one of World Series. do your thing. Yeah. He's still a choker. Um, and the last time he threw a postseason pitch, um, what, who who homered off him? Somebody homered off him. Uh, the last. The, the oh, last uh, Soto and Rendon. Right. So, not Clayton Kershaw has not won a World Series. We'll see if Max Scherzer can uh, can can <laughs> lift him uplift him this year and get him his first championship. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. The Phils win. Uh, Rob Doylestown wants to talk about the Phils, and in a minute we'll get to some more Joe Girardi uh, sound as Mike. Argument with Jody continued from last night. How long? How long does it last? I mean, it's over today. Okay, Jody, it's over today. Uh, the the ill effects of what Girardi did over the weekend, it's done now. But like, I don't even know how you argue the fact that it didn't affect the game the way you managed that game tonight. Like it, it very clearly did. Will like, it affect him in October? Like, Will it affect him in October? Do you think Girardi just decided he got Ian Kennedy to be the closer? He just say, you know, I'm just going to go with Alvarado tonight. Why not? Ian Kennedy wanted to pitch Sunday. 
Listen. Right, right. Well, we'll get to Girardi sound in a minute, and Girardi will tell you himself that what he did over the weekend affected the way he managed the game tonight. First, though, Rob in Doylestown. What's up, Rob? Well, regarding uh, Simmons, he deserved to be thrown under the bus, and uh, I don't think that uh, relationship with Embiid is salvageable. What's the deal with uh, Hilliard? Is he still uh, available? Hilliard? Yeah. Uh Oh, Lillard. Um, He is... Uh, he- it's unknown at this point. Like there were reports that he might want out, but it seems like he's too afraid to actually ask out. So until he makes like a formal trade demand, I don't think he's going to get traded. It could change, but as of now, it does not seem like he's available. Okay. Well, it was really nice to see uh, Freddie Gallus back in the Phillies uniform. I, uh, I can't wait to see him get out there and uh, play some shortstop and second base. Really, uh, really looking forward to it. Now, can you explain to me why, um, the Philly broadcasters don't go to the games anymore, the away games. Yeah, I mean, it's a COVID protocol type thing, Rob. Uh, the TV guys aren't going. The radio guys are going now, um, but the TV guys still aren't going. I'm not sure what goes into like the mathematics of that decision, but it is like a COVID-related I'm thing. afraid that that's going to wind up being uh, the uh, standard operating procedure from here on out. I think I don't watch... Uh, baseball games to see, I mean, to hear what I can see on the TV. You know, I want to hear what uh, what's going on uh, beyond the cameras. That's what the broadcasters are for. I mean, I can turn the sound down and watch the game without without play by play. But you know, uh, when I listen to the games, I want to hear stuff that's uh, that I can't see on the TV. Yeah, I hear you, Rob, and I'm, I guarantee you, the broadcasters are anxious to get back, too. I'm sure if it was up to them, they would be traveling right now, but uh, it's just one of those things. And it, honestly, I, I'm pretty sure it has to do with the Phillies' vaccination rate. So um, if the players and guys in the organization would get vaccinated, I believe the broadcasters would be able to travel. So you, you're saying that the starting pitcher who won't get vaccinated is keeping them in the booth, uh, keeping them in the studio? That is what I believe is happening. Holy mackerel. Yep. So, yeah, that, that that's that's what's going on with that. Okay, thanks, man. Yep, appreciate it, Rob. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. Like, these, the players not getting vaccinated, it, it, it has ripple effects that go beyond just – losing players and obviously we we how about that we got some reporting from matt gelb of, of the athletic nice job of him ask him we shall receive now yeah thanks for listening matt yeah thanks thanks for listening i'm sure matt gelb's hanging on every word we're saying overnight but we had a bailey falter story we were calling for where's the reporting on bailey falter last night and boom Matt Gelb arrives to the belly falter and matt gelb also had the hazley thing so maybe he does listen to the show late night right because he yeah. did he came with the Hazley stuff after you had persisted uh, about Hazley, but you know Matt Gelb's doing some reporting here, so he deserves some credit for that. He's trying, yeah, he's trying. So, so nicely done. Um, but the Phillies win tonight, five four, um, and they creeped to within a game and a half of the division lead. They have four nothing lead in the bottom of the seventh. Zach Wheeler, who continues to just be tremendous. I mean, Zach Wheeler is just having an unbelievable year. He had a rough seventh inning, um, and, and he pitched into the eighth, actually. But uh, got tired late, had to throw. How many pitches did Wheeler end up throwing in this game? 105 pitches, because you really didn't have much of a bullpen to work with in this game. But Wheeler did a hell of a job keeping you in it, uh, pitching six scoreless, 
gave up some late, but thankfully the Phils had some quality run support. And part of the reason they had that run support, a homer hit, a two run, the, the Phils had homers hit in this game by Gene Segura, who hit a solo shot to start the game, which where would the Phillies be without Gene Segura right now? I mean, people can continue to rip him, which I don't get. Uh, even last week, I'm, I'm saying how we don't appreciate Gene Segura enough. I see Al across from me sitting there shaking his head. It's like, what are you shaking your head about, Al? I mean, Gene Segura is a, a guy we should appreciate more. But there you go. He hits a solo home run. Um, Real Muto at a homer. And then toe, Ronald Torres, a two-run shot. And it's Ronald Torres has been... A, a, a godsend for this team. I mean, you look at what he has done, filling in for Alec Bohm at times, filling in for Didi Gregorius for a while, and now pretty much being the everyday shortstop when there's a left-hander on the mound, it's been tremendous. He has another two-run homer in this game, up to five homers this year, and he's a guy who I believe had one career homer before this season, certainly was not known for his power, um, but here was Joe Girardi after the game uh, when asked, when did Ronald Torres become a home run hitter? I don't know. Um, you know, I've seen every one of them, which is kind of a neat thing. Um, but, I mean, he has played so well for us this year. Um, I mean, I he stepped up and he's played short when Didi was down. He played second when Segi was down. He played third when Bomer was down and, He's had a ton of big hits for us, like he did again tonight, and he's played really good defensively. And um, I've always felt good about the kid because, you know, I've, I'll say it again, he's always prepared, and there's nothing that I throw at him will ever surprise him or he won't be ready, and that's why he's so valuable to us. And he has been valuable and will continue to be valuable. And when Freddie Galvis gets back, you know, as I said before, I think – I don't know what they'll do with the starting lineup. I still think Girardi will try to get Didi and Boehm in there. But certainly late in games, if you're leading, you can imagine a lot of a lot of seven through eight, nine innings where you'll have Therese at third and Galvis at short for defensive purposes because Boehm and Gregorius are just butchers over there. You can get those two guys in. That certainly shores up your defense. Therese has been tremendous. So Phil's lead seven to four. They go to the ninth inning. And it's Jose Alvarado comes in, and after kind of an... It looked at the beginning of the inning like it could get out of whack a little bit. Runs a 3-2 count to Barrera, the Nationals catcher, but ends up striking him out. From there, Alvarado gets a ground out, then a strikeout to end it. Now, good job by Jose Alvarado, and good job by the Phillies bullpen. They're able to close it out. But... Mike, did this not play out exactly how we predicted it was going to play out two days ago? Like, last night, did we not predict exactly what was going to happen on Tuesday night because of what Joe Girardi had did the previous couple days? Sure did. Now, uh, No Ian Kennedy because, you know, 25 bullets used Sunday. Right, and you can look at the results over the process, which is what Jody will choose to do, and Jody and I... I feel like now all Jody and I's crossovers are just going to be, you know, arguing about Joe Girardi. When does it end? When does, when it, does end? it end? When can I stop complaining? It ends now. It ends when Joe Girardi's decisions 
stop impacting the way he manages games. Like, is there any any debate that like pitching Kennedy on Sunday in a 13 run game is why you couldn't use him tonight? Like, there's no zero argu- doubt. There's no, no argument doubt. against that, right? Well, actually, you know what would have been the best sequence would have been pitching him Saturday night in the ninth inning, not using him at all Sunday, right? Because he's not going to ask you for the inning because you gave it to him Saturday. Using him naturally Monday and then today. Right. That would have made sense. But if you don't believe me and you don't want to buy my, why are you ripping Girardi? Well, listen to Joe. Okay. Here was Joe Girardi on why Ian Kennedy did not pitch the ninth inning. He's, he's okay. Um, I just made the decision, you know, during the game that he was up one and a half times on Saturday. He pitched. Sunday, where he threw, I don't know, 24 or 25. He threw 24 or 25 last night, and I just was not comfortable putting him in. We talked about that we might use him tonight, but as the night went on and I thought about it, I just was not comfortable asking him basically to go in a sense four days in a row. Um, and I said, you're, you're off today um, after the game. I said, you're my closer again tomorrow, so you'll be back at work. I just wasn't comfortable doing it. And he hasn't thrown a lot if you look in the the last month or so. And I think it was jeopardize, jeopardizing his health. So there you go. You can call me an anti-Girardi guy. You could say I have an agenda. But there is there it is straight from uh, the Girardi's mouth, as they would say. No, they say the horses. Why, thank you, Mike. Um, but uh, Joe Girardi confirming right there. Ian Kennedy did not pitch because he threw on Sunday night. So, uh, you know, it went exactly how he said. They'll end up going to Alvarado and Nurse, and Girardi had to be holding his breath in the dugout. He looked nervous in the dugout with oh, Alvarado. Yeah. Did he not? He was uh, he's, he's top going through stuff the whole with time. Cotham, yeah. Cotham's hand has, you know, the sheet next to him, and Girardi's just like, and I guarantee what's going through his head is, oh, God, if he blows this, I'm going to get killed with these Kennedy questions about why I throw him on Sunday. <laughs> like, it's exactly what would have happened. Um, but here is more from Joe Girardi on uh, on why Ian Kennedy was not able to go. Was there a reason why he, because it looked like he threw a few pitches off the mound there. But- yeah, we talked about it. We talked about it. He said, I'm, I'm available if it's a closed situation, and I just – you know, that was during BP, and I just made the decision as, as I thought about it more and more that I wasn't going to use him. So there you go. Ian Kennedy was not available because he pitched. They got away with it. Congratulate. But, but like, I, like, I feel like Jody and some other people out there who didn't have a problem with Jody's or, or Girardi's decision, if you're expecting me to change my take on it, I'm not going to. Like, I still think it was a bad decision. Just because the results bore out well does not mean the process was correct. Like I, I, I think we're allowed to criticize even when things work out. Like it, just because they worked out doesn't mean it was the right decision. He got away with it. Like right. it, you know, good for him. Yeah, good for him. He got away with it. So you, you can look at me as an idiot for now. I'll put the clown nose on, I suppose. Um, but we'll revisit this in October, right? But I still, right when it end, when it finally ends. But I, uh, you know, I, I don't change my opinion on it. I still think Girardi butchered the bullpen. I still don't get why Kennedy was in the thirteen run game and didn't pitch in a tie game the night before. And apparently that played into why he couldn't pitch Tuesday. But it worked out. Phil's won three in a row. They're a game and a half back. I'm the idiot. Everybody wins. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in on the Phil's, 
um, and you want to mock me for my awful Joe Girardi take, you're welcome to. Also, Ben Simmons, can he return to Philadelphia? It's looking like that's more and more likely. And did Daryl Morey botch this situation, making these negotiations and the desire to move on so publicly? Um, did he did he botch this situation? You're welcome to get in on that as well. Mike in South Philly, see you there. We'll get to you up next. And I also forgot my social media gripe. We'll do that coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. Talking a lot of Sixers in the first hour. Ben Simmons and the uh, really lack of, of update on the Ben Simmons trade talks. It does not seem like it's going well for Darren Moore. He does not seem like he's getting the kind of offers, the kind of market is out there that he expected and wanted. And it seems like Ben Simmons is becoming more likely to at least return with the 76ers uh, to start training camp here and potentially into the season. So we've been discussing that. There was an update. You just don't like the update. The update was that they're open to bringing him back. Right. I mean, but I mean, do you really think like anything within the Sixers organization has changed or do you think that? Yes, I think that they went out to see what's out there and they didn't like it. So yes, I do. I think. Like something has changed, yeah. Okay. Well, I well I would I don't disagree with that, but like I still think they would prefer to trade him. Like I don't think I don't think like Ramona Shelburne in her report basically framed it as oh the whole time they preferred to bring him back. I certainly don't think that's the truth. Like I don't I don't think the Sixers went into the offseason saying you know we really want him back, yeah, but, but we'll listen to offers. I don't think that's the way they went into this. All right. Do you put anything to Zach Lowe though? Yeah, I th- I think both of them. I think both of them are off base with that. I think Do that, you think the reporting's off base? In terms of like if they're reporting and this is the way it sounded to me, if they're reporting is that the Sixers preference the entire time has been to bring Ben back in, then yes, I doubt I don't think reporting. they I don't think that's how they worded it. That's the way it sounded to me. I mean, you can play the cut if you if you want to. Um, but the way it sounded to me, especially the Ramona Shelburne one, was that the Sixers have kind of always preferred to bring him back, and I don't, I don't see it that way. Here was Ramona Shelburne on uh, the Ben Simmons situation. The Sixers are open to bringing him back. The Sixers are, in a lot of ways, I think they would prefer that. I think they would prefer to say, we don't want to trade this guy who can win the Defensive Player of the Year, who is a young superstar in the making. Just come back and let's let's work on this. But I don't. It doesn't seem like there's a there's a bridge there that is being walked across by both sides. Like I don't think I don't know if Ben Simmons has that interest right now because I, I things were said afterwards after the season. Doc Rivers said some things. Joe Embiid said some things. I know there's been trying to smoothing out of that relationship, but it doesn't seem like Ben is necessarily interested in that right now. Like the way that sounds to me is she's framing it as this is all on Ben's side and the Sixers want him back. I don't believe that to be true. Well, I think both sides want want a divorce. Wait, minute, two minutes ago you you were saying that she said in there that the, all along the Sixers wanted to bring him back, and I don't think that's. I think there was you know a sequence in there where they did want to go out there and like try and see if there are guard, you know guards or packages that they could flip him for. And um, they didn't like what was out there, you know, is what it seems like. And 
So I don't, and I, I think she represented that. Like, I don't think she stepped out of bounds or indicated that all along that that was her plan. She, I don't, she didn't really indicate that. Well, I, th- I think if you truly want to bring a guy back, like you don't shop him as publicly as the Sixers have. Like, there's no doubt that they were get the last six weeks. Right. I mean, you wouldn't doubt that they have gotten the word out pretty much everywhere that this guy's available. But I'm saying that she never said that all along they wanted to bring him back. Like, she never said that. Okay, maybe maybe I phrased it poorly, I guess, but uh, I, I, you know, I do think she made it sound in there like, oh well, they, you know, they prefer to bring him. They don't want to trade this guy who's a an All NBA right, player, right an All Star, right? But like, they obviously have had that desire. Like, they have had that desire to trade him. I guess maybe at this point, like I, maybe it's because I disagree with the reporting. Like, I still think the Sixers want to trade him, but they can't trade him for nothing. So yeah, but the, I'm just saying, like the, I guess the bigger conversation was there was an update on the Ben Simmons thing. The update is if you're reading between the lines, it seems like that they're not going to trade him anytime soon, and so they're they're going to start warming up and like publicly telling people that they're open and bringing him back. I I think it's fair to say that's the update, right? Yeah, I think so. I I was kind of talking about an update as regard to a trade, like that we the update we've been waiting for is like well the update is, is that it will not come and it doesn't look like there's going to be trade. So I think we're arguing about a pre um, an issue that's not really an issue, but that's the update, non-update, however you want to take it. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Also, the Phillies, Joe Girardi. Apparently, Joe Girardi proved me wrong. I'm a dope, um, but I still uh, believe that Joe Girardi mismanaged the last couple days. It worked out. Good for the Phillies. Good for Joe Girardi. Alvarado was able to close that game out. Still believe he made some bad decisions that led him to needing to go to Alvarado in that spot. And we'll get to more Eagles in this hour as well. And I need to get to what happened at New York Giants camp and the the operation that Joe Judge is running up there in New York. So we'll get to that as well. Uh, let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's up, Mike? How's it going, Tom? Good. How you doing? <sighs> Not bad. Uh, so, you know, browsing social media, if that's any, any indication, uh, Sixers fans seemed a little, uh, well, what am I looking for? I think panic's too strong of a word, but a little dismay, a little disappointed, a little uh, kind of antsy about Sixers free agency so far. It seems like that's uh, the sentiment of the fan base. And I think that, I think the fans uh, kind of are setting themselves up for a letdown because I think they're expecting way too much from Dal Morey. <clears throat> you know, I think that, I think it's a combination of things. I think uh, because he's following up two total disasters at general manager that they're kind of looking to him as like a savior, uh, kind of like, uh, you know, uh, you know, just a magician who can just come in and turn garbage into gold, you know, to quote Mark Zumoff. Um, and the fact that he was a mentor of Sam Hinkie that kind of people are idolizing Maury. And I think, you know, from the, you know what I'm reading is a lot of fans are expecting him to come in and pull some rabbit out of a hat. You know, I I, I see it, I'm seeing it all over. Like you know, I'm waiting to see Maury's big move. You know, he's got something up his sleeve, and I don't think it's coming. Like I, I don't. You know, remember I told you a couple nights ago. I don't think Ben Simmons is going to get traded, and I feel even stronger about that after the, you know yesterday with uh, Ramona Shelburne and. Um, I think fans, you know, I think he's obviously a good general manager, but I think fans expected him to come in and just be a total savior, like kind of a magician, and they're expecting some massive move that nobody, you know, sees coming, and I I don't think it's happening. 
Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like it is at this point, Mike. And I think I think people's hopes got up. I'll say my hopes got up a few weeks ago when the Lillard stuff started to surface. And it seemed like that was leading toward him asking out. But, uh, you know, it doesn't look like that is at least imminent. I mean, I guess that could happen at some point. Um, but it doesn't look like that's happening right now. The Bradley Beal thing was disappointing that it seems like he's staying now. And, and it just looks like that market has dried up really quickly. And with where the Sixers are, and this is the the difficult situation that they're in, where they can't take a deal that like pushes their timeline back. Like Their timeline is right now, yeah. and anything that makes your team worse for next year is impossible to sell to Joel Embiid and impossible to sell to your fan base. So Maury's in a really difficult spot, and yeah, I mean, it certainly uh, doesn't look like he has any magic up his sleeve right now. Yeah, you know, and if people are saying, you know, they can't bring him back, there's just no way. I mean, we were saying the same thing with Zach Ertz just a couple months ago. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, we've seen in this very city, you know, guys that you didn't think were coming back, you know, um, you know, the, six, or the Eagles even cleared up some cap space to make it easier to kind of fit Zach Ertz in in case they need to make another move. So it's looking more and more by the day. Um, and Zach Ertz is practicing with the first team. So it's looking more and more by the day. Zach Ertz is going to remain an eagle into the season. And you can kind of say the same thing about Ben Simmons. And I think, um, you know, to your question, if Maury is kind of, you know, has some blame in this for overplaying his hand. And I, 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 th- I think he does. Like I was an advocate for trading Ben Simmons last off season. I mean, obviously we've gone back and forth about the James Harden thing, but that was in season. And uh, oh, by the way, uh, Spike, uh, you know, your former boss, Spike, he's uh, he sides with me on that. He said in one of his latest podcasts that, from what he heard from a source that that, you know, that wasn't the case, you know, the whole, they weren't trading, but obviously we don't want to relitigate that. Right. I'm just, you know, just right. right. I mean, there's no yeah. way we'll, we, we, we may never know. Yeah, yeah. We'll never know. Um, but you know, whether it was hard or not back in the off season, you know, there was a little bit of talk about that. Like, you know, do you want to trade Ben Simmons and remember that the thing was like, Oh no, we want to see how the Sixers play with a new coach, you know, with, uh, you know Seth Curry and Danny Green. We want to see how things play out first, and like, and you're kind of seeing the same thing to kind of tie it into the Eagles again with uh, you know the Eagles with Jalen Hurts and Deshaun Watson. A lot of people are like, oh, well, let's see how the Eagles play with Jalen Hurts first. And I think you know the the lesson learned should be, you know, if you have a chance to solve a problem or get value for a player who you're not sold in and get somebody in who you think is an elite talent, then you do it. You don't have to wait and see how things play first because you never know when that opportunity will come again. And whether it was Harden or somebody else, you know, if you have a chance to get a top flight player, you know, I heard the narrative like, oh, you know, there will always be an opportunity to get a superstar. Sixers fans should not be disappointed. An opportunity will come again. Well, maybe not. Like we're seeing this offseason with Beal and with Lillard, it might not come again. I mean, you never know when that opportunity is going to strike. No, you don't. Uh, No, Mike, and you don't like, like, maybe something could happen toward the trade deadline. Who knows? I mean, if. It's not impossible that in two days, Damian Lillard officially requests a trade and this all changes. It's also possible that that does not happen and you have to carry this thing to the trade deadline and maybe there aren't appealing options there. And Ben Simmons is on this roster all next year. That's the difficulty of it is you really don't know. And I'd agree with you in that regard. And I think the the Hurts-Watson comparison is a good one. 
Because I, I think that's a kind of similar situation where we are hearing a lot of the same thing. Like, oh, well, let's see what we have. But you don't know when this kind of opportunity is going to present itself again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's the NBA, maybe even more than the NFL. Like, obviously, you need you know, the, the two most important things in all of sports are a top flight NFL quarterback and an NBA superstar. There's nothing more important than either. I think even more important than a goalie in the NHL. You know, you're not going to win if you don't have one of those two things. And if you have a chance to get one of those two things, um, especially for a guy that you may not be sold on, you know, then you, you make the move. And they might be stuck with Ben and, you know, and people can go, oh, well, you know, you know, you can increase his value during the season. But remember, Tom, obviously there's going to be less teams involved um, because, you know, with the, uh, the playing games now, there's going to be more teams in the mix for the playoffs. So you might have less teams, you know, willing to sell off their pieces. Um, so, I mean, they're in a really tough spot. And, but it was weird, too, because when they signed Drummond, it's like, oh, well, then Ben Simmons is definitely gone because he doesn't not feel well Ben Simmons. He's not a floor spacer. And then all of a sudden the report comes out from Ramona Shelburne and say, well, what exactly is going on here? What is the plan this offseason? And I think it's, that's why a lot of Sixers fans are kind of confused. There doesn't seem to be like a, a, a solid trend for the moves that Maury has made so far. No, and I appreciate it, Mike. Yeah, Thanks, man. And yeah, and I think that's, that's kind of the problem with going into this offseason with this uncertainty because the Sixers are building a team and they don't really know the kind of team that they're going to have. Like, obviously, whether you have Ben Simmons or or whatever you get for him in return, that is clearly going to change the way you play. And it's really hard to go out and they don't have a ton of money anyway. So it's not it's not like they have a ton of guys they could pursue, but it does kind of change how you view things. And it makes it difficult to go out and pursue certain free agents when you don't know what kind of team you're going to have because Ben Simmons is such a different kind of player. And the way you'd play with him on the on your roster is much different than the way you'd play uh, if he's not on your roster. 215-592-9494. i got to get Dave and Cherry Hill up here. What's up, Dave? Hey, good morning, Tom. How's it going? All right, how are you? I'm not bad. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, as far as your discussions today, I really called about Girardi, but okay. I could comment first on uh, Simmons. Whatever you'd like, Dave. Okay, Simmons first. I think that if he could remake himself into a team player and a shooter, he could repair all the damage with uh, Liam Bede and the coach. But I don't think that's likely to happen. I think on that 1% or 2% chance, it could happen. Yeah, I mean, Dave, for him to regain their trust, there's no doubt he'd need to come back as some sort of a different player. Like, I'm not under any illusions that he's going to come back and be this lights-out three-point shooter or be a guy who's going to shoot four threes a game or anything like that, but he's going to have to come back with something added to show that he is willing to improve, he is willing to expand his game to help the guys around him. There's no doubt about that. Right. We, we agree, but we also probably agree that he's not going to do that. Right, yeah, Dave, I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that he will, and until he does, like, he can post all the practice videos that he wants. Until he actually comes back and does this stuff in games, I have no reason to believe it's going to be any different. Well, the only indication in my mind that he might is is the public outroar against him in the uh, for not taking that uh, dunk, and uh, maybe he got a little introspective, and we can only hope. Yeah, we can only hope, but uh, you know, I don't think I don't think uh, you know fan perspective is something that Ben cares all that much about. To be honest, well, not in the surface, maybe underneath. Who knows? Maybe. As far as Girardi's concerned, 
I think you are a little harsh on him. And you and John Johnson uh, are so critical that he's a failure and he should be replaced practically without saying it, that uh, he's no good. And I say I'm not making that decision until October. I actually feel like I have said it, Dave. I don't think he's very good. Well, you haven't said it in so many words, but there you go. Yeah, I mean, well, Dave, I mean, do do you do you agree with the way he's handled the bullpen the last couple of days? Like, is there any doubt that that he left himself shorthanded needlessly on Tuesday night? No, I, I agree. I agree with that criticism, and then maybe he should be criticized. But you said what you predicted was exactly right, and it wasn't exactly right. It was, it was, uh, it was right. But you, the part that you didn't get was that uh, Alvarado would. Uh, be a, uh, win that game and save it. Right. You I mean, <laughs> that he would fail and we would lose that game. No, well, not necessarily, Dave. I predicted Alvarado would come in. I did not say that he would definitely lose because with Alvarado, you don't know. But I thought that would not go well. And if, hey, you're right. I, I today, I am the idiot. <laughs> you're so, not the idiot. I just, but, yeah. uh, I, I just disagree. No, I get you, I, with, Dave. With the, with the overall uh, criticism of Girardi, and I think if he if he turns out to uh, if the the season he turns out to be the winner of the division and maybe a winner of a playoff season, he will be a successful manager. Okay, well that that that's fair enough, Dave. Um, that that's fair enough, and I appreciate the call. And yeah, I mean if if they go on to the playoffs, even though it's a bad division, if they get to the NLCS, then sure. I mean Girardi will get extended whether he deserves it or not but you know evaluating based on what i see and like the process of the way he has gone through things he makes a lot of very questionable decisions and they have been able to hang in a bad division and they won the game tuesday night and i'm happy they won the game tuesday night uh, but i still disagree with the decisions he made in the last couple days and I think he needs to be better moving forward to put his team in a better situation so you are not leaving yourself in these kind of spots where you got to rely on Jose Alvarado to close games out. I mean, that was... And again, like, this also goes back to the Suarez thing as well. Like, when you look at why they needed to push Zach Wheeler so long and why he didn't go to the bullpen earlier and why he needed to have Wheeler go out there and stuck him out there for 105 pitches is partially because you needed these three innings from Ranger Suarez on Monday night. So it's not even just about the Kennedy situation. It's also about the Suarez situation, which I still don't agree with, and I still will. Hey, so maybe it will go on for a while here, Mike. Maybe it's not done, because if the Suarez thing continues to cost them, maybe this will go on. I I, I might have to apologize to Jody and tell him, you know, this will this will continue here. The ripple effects of all this. Yeah, I mean, it, it'd be different though. Like, the, it, it's all about the Kennedy ninth inning one. That one was that one was crazy. Yeah, that one was egregious. The Suarez one. I guess there's kind of a, a, a an argument, um, which is obviously made uh, a, more of a necessity because of Bailey Falter's refusal to get vaccinated. But um, <laughs> I mean, what's the he, he doesn't have the vaccine? I'm pretty sure, and he yeah. said he's still not getting it right. Yeah, well, we're still reluctant. But oh. no, t- to be fair to just the protocols, even if he was vaccinated, positive tests, he would have been out in 10 days anyway. Okay. so you know, But he's it, been out longer than 10 days here. 
Yeah, it, it seems like he really suffered from the effects of not being vaccinated. There you go. So uh, what I said was not necessarily factually inaccurate. I guess, but he, yeah, I mean, but maybe it would been out either way. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to Matt and AC. What's up, Matt? Hey, Tom. How are you? Good. How you doing? Good. Thanks. So that statement of we're willing to Ben bring Ben back just screams damage control to me. That's what I. That's what I hear, <laughs> Matt. Personally, like that's how I receive that as well. But what I don't get about the damage control is why are you even attempting? to think about repairing a relationship that is way beyond repair. Let's just, let's just hypothetically say that when Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz sat down, they came to an agreement and they said, all right, let's give it one more try next season. Can you imagine how bad each interception would be? Can you imagine how bad each uh, pass that was thrown five yards short would be? It'll be the same thing with Ben. Every time he doesn't shoot the ball, it'll be ten times worse than it has been the last few seasons. Every time he doesn't dunk, it'll be ten times worse. It's just a relationship that I, I don't think is – Beyond repair, it just it's like off and on relationships. Do they ever really work? No. Maybe you get along for a little bit, but at the end of the day, you go your separate ways, and Daryl Morey should just lower his asking price. That's all. I think that's the only solution. But, Matt, like, what if, like, if the best deal, though, you're getting is, like, D'Angelo Russell and a first-round pick or two first-round picks? Like, I'm, like, I would agree with Morey in that spot where even though I agree – that it's ideal to move on. I don't think you can sell Ben Simmons at that kind of value. You know, I I, like, I I don't think you can trade him for a guy like D'Angelo Russell. If that's like the best offer you're getting. Yeah. I mean, how's Malcolm Brogdon in the first rounder looking now? I mean, is that really that bad Eh. compared to bringing Ben back? Yeah. That's the ideal. That's the ideal trade. But like, really think about the, the, the opposite. I mean, you're going to bring Ben back, and it's just going to be a, a sour relationship that's going to even be more sour. You see what I'm saying? No, I, I absolutely see <laughs> what you're saying, Matt, and I don't disagree, but at the same time, I, I get Maury's perspective of not wanting to sell a guy who conceivably could have high value. Like, if you can come back and you can try to make this thing work for two to three months and revisited mm-hmm. the trade deadline, like, even if it is uncomfortable, you know, I, I would imagine that you'd have a better market at the deadline than you have right now. Like, Simmons, there's no doubt this is his lowest value right now. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Simmons wants out? Yes, I absolutely think he wants out. Okay, so yeah. Carson wanted out. Now, I'm not saying they're the same exact situation, but they're fairly similar, correct? Right. Yes, oh, fairly. Okay, so what if, if Doug convinced Carson to stay, and, and they said, and the Eagles said, all right, well, you know, we really don't like the return from the Colts. Let's see, you know, how this relationship goes. Do you think that would have ended greatly? you think that they would have boosted Carson's trade value? Uh, that probably wouldn't have ended very well either. I agree. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what I'm just comparing it to. Look, right. look, I was in 2016, I was at Xfinity Live for that draft lottery, and it was the happiest I've ever been in 30 years of being a Philadelphia sports fan. And this, this breaks my heart. But at the same time, it's like all must all good things must come to an end. I really don't think there's any salvaging this relationship. Yeah, I get it, Matt, and I appreciate the call. I and I don't. I think this is not as toxic as the Wentz thing, I guess. But I I still do think that this Embiid and Simmons dynamic is not is not healthy. Like I I don't I don't think that trust can be rebuilt between those two guys. I just don't like because they, of a twelve second comment. Because yeah. I mean, sometimes mm. that makes a big difference. Like, 
I don't I, I think Embiid from what Simmons did on the floor in that series, I don't think Embiid will ever trust Simmons again. I don't think he'll ever trust him to become the player that he needs to be to become the running partner that he needs. And I yeah, I don't think Simmons no. I don't think Simmons will trust Embiid after that. Well, I I don't think it's fair to Embiid to I think Embiid's like pretty smart guy, actually a really smart guy, you know, seems to kind of figure out the big picture. I think he can get over, you know, the whole, like if, if, like if Simmons shows up and again, is bringing something more to the table, like Embiid, like we'll get over it. Like, I he just it, will. Like, I, I, like you gotta give him some credit. I think Embiid would be more suited to like if you brought him back and be because I do think Embiid like you said is a smart guy he understands the market and he understands that right now trading Ben Simmons for below market value is not something that is going to benefit him right. I agree with that so then but what's the problem here I you don't think that Ben wants out like I think Ben badly wants out at this point I think Ben just I don't know what Ben wants I between off the court and on the court he's got a lot going on and I I don't know he just I think I don't know. I but I do think there's if he shows up and everyone welcomes back, you know, they get rolling again and they're one of the top 3 seeds then I don't know, then we'll we'll have the whole playoff thing all over again. Maybe. I mean, and there could be I I think maybe the most realistic situation at this point is that if there's not a deal you can do, you kind of get everybody together and say, "Hey, let's tough this out for a few months." Yeah. And at the deadline, we look and we revisit things. But well, like, you challenge you challenge him and say, yeah. if you don't, you know, if you don't establish it, you've brought something else to this, you know, this team. Then yeah, you won't be here, but, President's Day or but, whatever. But, but 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 that might be what Ben wants, you know. Like, and, and what has challenging Ben? What has that done in the past to motivate him? I mean, it really hasn't done much before. I, they've never challenged him with uprooting his life and trading him. But, they, but they, they've never that's never been a threat. But has I think, it? But I think he wants to be traded. Like that's what I don't I think he ever disagree. wanted to be traded. No, I think he wants to be traded now, though. I mean, I the fact that based Rich, on what the fact that Rich Paul and Ben are in step with the Sixers on this. No, I like, so I think that, that's the, pretty close to get me out of here. No, 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 no. What that means to me is let's together evaluate every single franchise, every single possibility, every single situation, and we will together decide on whether I will be traded here, I am open to be traded here, or I will not be traded here. I think that means that I don't think that means that like just pick up the phone and trade me to whoever. Like it, it, I don't think that's what that means. I I mean I I just don't see it that way. I, I see it. You as, think it means get me out of here immediately? Like I it, think I don't think Ben Simmons has any interest in playing for the Sixers. Why would they word it as in lockstep? That that would they would just say like Ben Simmons has demanded a trade because they're trying to get a deal done, and Simmons understands that if he makes it ugly, that's not going to do anything to increase his value. But and I, he understands that Maury is not going to trade him for below market value. I think, but also too, like if the Sixers come to him and say like, hey, we can, I'm just making this up. Hey, we can rip off the, the Timberwolves and get eight draft picks, Anthony Edwards and, you know, $50 million cash. Um, so we're going to take this deal. Would you want to go to Minnesota and Ben Simmons and Clutch Sports say like, no, we're like, we're going to be really a problem for you going forward and a menace if like, you trade my client to Minnesota, then I think that like, like that's what I think lockstep means, you know, like it, they're looking at every situation together. They're going to find one where both want to like both benefit from it. 
I just don't see that situation out there, right? And that, that's yeah, why that's why that's why know, he's going to be a Sixer. A that's why the update is he's probably going to stay with the Sixers. Yeah, um, and we'll we'll see how that goes. I don't think it'll go very well. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's get Dominic and Glenside in here. What's up, Dominic? Good morning. How you guys doing? Today? Not bad. What's going on? Hey, man. You know what? I got a different take on this. I've always had a different take on it. I personally don't believe the Sixers really ever wanted to get rid of Ben Simmons because they made such a big, huge ask um, and put that out there. Now, granted, I know you always make a huge ask because you were trying to get as much as possible, but it was incredibly over the top what they were originally asking for. So therefore, I'm my thoughts is that they maybe didn't really want to get rid of this guy. And I can totally understand it. I, I personally think, you know, Maury needs to be held accountable for the fact that at the trade deadline last season we didn't bring in more help and we all knew that the Sixers needed more help we complained about the bench we knew the bench was an issue and and to me I'm gonna keep harping on that because the starting five of the Sixers was top five all year long it's not the number one starting five unit in in the NBA last year so when all their five players on the on the court that's a winning winning uh you know group in but, in the regular season Dominic a regular season I, and postseason basketball is different no no doubt about it I, I mean I understand that Totally understand it. They're two different things, but you're not going to tell me if our bench didn't show up in the postseason, and especially against Atlanta, we don't win that series. Period. It's easy to point, and that's that's the one thing I dislike about sometimes our fans, and even 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 you guys on the radio, y'all automatically go for the easy uh, uh, thing to identify versus really taking a good look at it. Now, yeah, Ben can easily be the guy we we put all the blame on, but at the end of the story you've got to break down the whole facts and it comes down to the fact that hey we went a whole half our bench didn't score in one game we were getting smoked by bench players Gallinari was not a starter we didn't have any matchup for him you know and Herder I mean come on it was that matchup which again goes back to the fact that once Danny Green got hurt that put us at a little bit of a disadvantage on a defensive end that's what really killed us. We had no stop for these guys because you got to keep Curry on the floor for spacing, but he can't match up defensively. So, therefore, that was the big difference in all of those games we lost. Every last one of them, it came down to bench and what we didn't have coming off the bench. And we knew it because going into the trade deadline, we were talking about, oh, let's go get Oladipo. Oh, let's go get, uh, you know, they talked about, what's, what's my man, Porter, Porter Jr., who, who Milwaukee picked up. Who, by the way, looked like a monster oh, in the playoffs. Who, P.J. Tucker? No, or, no, P.J. Tucker's a stiff. Oh, who, oh, I don't know who you're talking uh, about. Porter, that. Porter. I think it's either Michael Porter Jr. or Otto Porter Jr., whichever the, the, okay. the boy Milwaukee picked up at the oh, end of the B- trade. Bob, Bobby Portis? Yeah, there you go, Jr. Right, okay. his last name is Jr. He's like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, power forward, who played great. Uh, he had in the good in finals, the, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and he was out there for us, but we go and – Oh, God. It, the George Hill trade, he was a stiff, and I was so glad they decided to bring him back. But that pisses me off because we knew we needed more. And when, when, when Doc had to go to his bench, he had no power forward. He had nobody over 6'7", six, 6'8", six, he could bring off the bench at any point in the playoffs. It's hard to win when you got Mike Scott and that other stiff that they brought in at the end that you can't even put on the court. So. Yeah. You know, and our bench has been a problem all year long. We knew it. That's what I hold Maury accountable for. No, I got you. I got you, Dominic, and I appreciate the call. Thanks, man. And, yeah, I mean, that's an area they're trying to improve. I mean, they bring in Andre Drummond. 
They bring in Niang, who's going to be kind of a floor stretcher type big man. Um, but yeah, the bench needs to improve, and and it looks like they're trying to address that. But I, I mean, I still think your stars got to pick you up late in games. And when I look at that series, um, you know, I think the offense getting stagnant late in game five, late in game seven, late in game four. Uh, you know, I think I think that's a much bigger reason why the Sixers lost that series. Two one five. 592-9494-215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Uh, when we get back, I never did my social media gripe. We'll do that when we get back. We have Dave Uram coming up at 4 a.m. for his weekly weekly uh, chat with us. Uh, you've been enjoying these weekly chats, uh, haven't you, Mike? You've been enjoying those. I've been enjoying them, um, and I'm sure you have as well. So we'll uh, you'll have to make sure you have Dave's uh, music queued up. As well. Oh, that's the best part. Yeah, so we'll talk to Dave coming up at 4. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94W. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you uh, until, well, a little longer today. Very disappointing today because the morning show's down at, at the uh, Novacare Complex for practice. And as you heard there, make sure you're tuned in all morning uh, down at training camp. Nick Sirianni, Jalen Hurts will both be joining the show down there. Uh, so make sure you are tuned in. Uh, I believe they're at 7 a.m. Um, but uh, guests all morning long. So make sure you're tuned in the morning. It's always exciting down at camp. I used to that that is the biggest thing I miss about doing remotes is being down at training camp. Being with the people. Oh, just being oh. down. Watch it. <laughs> that was so genuine. It was great. Uh, no, it's true. I mean, you talk about boots on the ground reporting. Yeah. Like that made me wish I went into like a, a beat writer, you know, type role. Like being down at training camp is it's the best. I mean, you're standing on the sidelines. You're watching the hard hitting action. We'll get we'll get more into the Eagles and, and what's gone down at camp in the four o'clock hour. But of all the remotes I've done over the years, and I've done I mean, countless remotes. That was my favorite remote. I always like those. I mean, I, I guess I never did the Eagles one, but um, those Phillies Novacare booth ones. Those yeah, are nice. Were, but a lot of the day you're there and nothing's going on. Like just us in an empty stadium, you know, sitting in a booth. Yeah, but that was cool though. Yeah, I mean, it was it was cool, but yeah, camp, I mean, there's yeah, actually that, stuff that sounds going way better. On. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and the best was doing the morning show down there because the morning show would end at ten, and under under Coach Peterson. That's right when you would kind of nice. get going for practice. So you'd be able to go out. I'd pack up the stuff, and I really didn't have to pack stuff up because it's self-contained down there. Um, the trailer, so I'd just go right? out the... and I'd watch practice. Yeah, I even I even offered to Dave uh, that I would help out with some training camp only stuff, but he said he said if you just want to get in for training camp, you're out. So uh, Dave, well, Dave there's a pandemic going assistance. on. No, I know, but I'm talking about like I saw Dave last week. Um, and I told him like, you know, if you need my help in August, no, I'm camp. saying that's probably why they're trying to limit how many people they admit there's, you know, there's still COVID protocol. Right, right, right. But I, I mean, I'm sure if I was doing it in place of Dave, he wouldn't have had any complaints. Yeah. So, uh, but, but I think, I think Dave's down there handling it today. So, uh, make sure you're tuned into the morning show, but that I, I got sidetracked there because I had to, um, 
you know, just got me thinking about training camp, but no overlap show. I mean, yeah. that's the one bad thing is I don't get to do the overlap without. That's like the highlight of my morning. So very disappointing. Um, but maybe he'll appear. Oh, nice. So ho- hopefully we'll we'll hear from from Al at some point during the overlap show. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, I did want to give you my social media gripe of the day before we uh, we have our uh, check in with Dave Uram here. But uh, my social media gripe of the day today is everybody making the same joke about the Los Angeles Lakers because the Lakers the, the Lakers are putting together just a hilarious roster like uh, this team 10 years ago would have been incredible you know Carmelo Anthony the latest to sign could you imagine this Laker team in 2010 with Carmelo and Dwight Howard, sixteen-year-old AD, Russell Westbrook. Well, yeah. See, I mean, you know what I'm saying, though. Like, this is an a group of older players who, in their primes, were some of the elite of the elite. Yeah, they got older, prideful veterans. What did you make of um? Basically, swap like basically them saying like we'd rather have Dwight Howard than Andre Drummond. You're so interested in getting to the basketball conversation. I didn't even get to my gripe. Oh, I'm sorry. But no, first of all, I'll address that. But um, I think it's a downgrade. Like I, I think I, I wouldn't want Dwight Howard on my team. But I guess Dwight's the kind of guy where maybe if he's on a team with LeBron, LeBron can tell uh, cut out the antics because like that was a kind of an underrated part of Game Seven. Is that was a big technical foul, a big flagrant foul that he committed. Like we talk about turning points, and the Ben thing was a turning point. That was also a big swing in that game at that point, right? That wasn't that like a, a tie game or a one point game at that. At that? There were a bunch. Of them. I mean, that's what I was saying like an hour ago. They lost together. I mean, Matisse, all of them, indeed. Right. But yeah, that that I wouldn't want the White, so I don't get it. But that that he's back uh, with the Lakers now. But my gripe is. Like a bunch of people on social media would make the same joke now that the Lakers have signed Mello and they've signed a bunch of these guys is like my cat has signed with the Los Angeles Lakers. Like they make <laughs> really? this kind of announcement like my cat has signed with the Lakers or I've signed a one year deal with the Lakers. Like everybody's making the same stupid joke and it doesn't get any funnier. Like any every time I see it, I don't like it wasn't funny the first time. It's no funnier the fifth time. Well, definitely not funnier like the, the 17th time. I remember that used to be a thing people would do about joining the athletic. Yes, that did. That is, yeah. that is, uh, yeah, that's a good one there. Um, but like, and I, I just imagine just people like tweeting these things out and like thinking in their head, man, I'm killing it. Like I'm absolutely killing it right now. What a great joke. And it's not that great. And we have some sound later on because, uh, the, that I think one of these guys who does that, who makes corny jokes, but, like in his head, he's killing it. Is Greeny, and we have a great instance of oh. that from Greeny later on that we'll get to. Do we have any uh, Odyssey uh, violations? Any internal members? No, I'm not. I, I haven't seen any of that. Nobody, uh, nobody currently that uh, that works here that I'm griping. To, you know, love those gripes. Though. Using for gripe material today, but most of them are. So, uh, you know, do with that what you will. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. When we get back, we'll uh, chop it up with Dave Uram of KYW News Radio. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio ninety four WIP. You know what that music means? It's time for us to check in with Dave Uram of KYW News Radio, the heartthrob himself. 
joining us in studio. Uh, what's happening, Dave? Have you warmed up to this music a little bit? You I, enjoy it? I love it. Uh, TK, good morning. Mike, good morning. I love it. Are you I, listening to it like on your spare time? No, like, on your I, ride in? no, I'm not listening to it on my spare time, on my phone, or my free time. Uh, but I do hear about the heartthrob label that Al Morgani has given me for my fiance Sonia many times, and uh, it, it has stuck. Ooh. And I love that it has stuck. So uh, Al Morgani, in his in his illustrious career, has done many things, and deeming me a heartthrob is no doubt in the top five of Al Morgani's greatest creations and accomplishments. Top five? Top five. Wow. Of, of his entire Of his career? entire illustrious 40-plus wow. I, I year media career. You know, to forget the ESPN, <laughs> NHL, the, Inquirer. the ringside reporting <laughs> gig. I mean, it's it's naming Dave Uram a heartthrob. Top five. There you go. Well, should be an interesting overlap show. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get it. We'll we'll see where it ranks on Al's uh, on Al's career highlight list during the overlap show today. Uh, but Dave, thanks for joining us. Um, so far tonight, we've been talking a lot about Ben Simmons as we have the last couple of weeks, and I want to get to a ton of different topics with you. But have you heard the Ramona Shelburne report that she says that it seems like that he's going to stick around? No, right. Is that, is that that's yeah, what well, she kind of indicated that he's going to it seems like it appears that he could possibly remain a 76er. Here was what she reported yesterday on the jump. The Sixers are open to bringing him back. The Sixers are in a lot of ways. I think they would prefer that. I think they would prefer to say we don't want to trade this guy who can win the defensive player of the year, who is a young superstar in the making. Just come back and let's let's work on this. But I don't it doesn't seem like there's a there's a bridge there that is being walked across by both sides. Like I don't think I don't know if Ben Simmons has that interest right now because I, I think things were said afterwards after the season. Doc Rivers said some things, Joel Embiid said some things. I know there's been trying to smoothing out of that relationship, but it doesn't seem like Ben is necessarily interested in that right now. Now, yeah. what do you think the of the idea of bringing Ben back? We talked about that a little bit, but, you know, the idea of bringing Ben back in the locker room, whether that relationship between he and Embiid can be rectified, and also, do you think Daryl Morey has kind of botched this situation doing it so publicly? To your second question, yes. I think he has messed this up, whether it's because he's done it so publicly or just because of what has happened so far and that nothing has happened so far, I think that he has not handled it well or it has not been handled well overall with whoever is handling it. Um, I do think that they should bring Ben Simmons back unless they get Dame Lillard in return. I've said that a lot. And the fact that Ramona Shelburne reports that now he's kind of hesitant about coming back, which, remember, was not initially indicated by Woj initially, right? Or, or Shams, whoever had the really f the first report, I think it was Woj. Woj indicated that Ben Simmons did not request. Well, the first uh, report right, was a trade. That Ben's representation, Rich Paul, did not. Who, by the way, is dating Adele now. Did you know that? I did not know interesting, that. Interesting, uh, interesting, uh, you know, side note. But uh, Rich Paul met with Daryl Morey and Elton Brand in Chicago, right? And that no request was made, but. Like, I don't know. I think reading into that, there was a conversation that maybe it's best to, for both sides to move. But on. to me, that shows that at first, they're not, yeah, we want out. They're not two feet out the door. Ramona kind of indicates that Ben is more leaning towards leaving Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. 
while she also says that the Sixers are open to bringing Ben back, which we've heard before in, in various forums. They might not have a choice. This is a mess. This is a mess for a lot of reasons. One, because of this, now they're, uh, now they're, they're evidently open to bringing him back, but he may not want to come back. That's a problem. Two, and I, don't, I haven't talked to anybody about this. I'm not reporting this. This is just simple speculation with what the 76ers have done a couple of days into free agency, which is very little. I don't think the Sixers are an attractive destination. They're, they were the number one seed last year. They had a disappointing loss in the playoffs. It happens. It's not excusable, but it happens. They're still a good team. But I don't think they're an attractive destination because of this, because this saga has continued, because the 76ers have not committed to Ben Simmons publicly one way or when I mean publicly I mean in a press conference one way or the other because that this uh, you know rumors and noise is still out there about what's going to happen to Ben Simmons why would any free agent want to come here to Philadelphia when you don't know if Ben Simmons is going to be here uh he that you don't know if he's going to get traded for a package of picks it may not even be for a comparable player they got Andre Drummond. I well, mean, that's well, a big, I, big get. If I'm Kyle Lowry, right, and I'm just I, I can't speak for him, but if I'm Kyle Lowry, who's a point guard, uh-huh. and I see that Ben Simmons may or may not be here, right? He may be here. He plays my position. Why would I want to go there? He may not be there, but I'm not really sure. Why would I want to go there? Why would Kyle Lowry want to want to come here with, with all of this uh, controversy going on right now with Ben Simmons? This was a simple fix. This was simple. Ben had a bad postseason. The fans are infuriated at him. He's embarrassed. I, I, I'm, I assume that he is embarrassed. He backed out of the Olympics to work on his game. All they had to do was go to Ben and say, Ben, we believe in you. We want to bring you back. But you have to fix the problems that you have not fixed before. We'll give you this one year to do it. We want you here. Stay here. But they didn't do that. Instead, all these rumors came out that they're open, they're canvassing, the, the league, they're looking into what they can get for him. They want Harden-esque packages, according to Woj. And they're not going to get a Harden-esque package for him. They're not. So now they're here, a couple of days into free agency. They haven't done anything. They may do something. Ben Simmons is still, his future is still very much up in the air. And now, according to Ramona Shelburne, he may not want to come back at all in the first place. This is the definition of a mess. Well... I don't. I don't disagree with that. Um, and it, as far as free agency goes, they really don't have a lot of money to do True. much of anything. True. So you know, it, it does seem though that the market's not there. They what they needed, and this is really as I see the problem. They needed somebody to cause a problem and ask out, whether it was Lillard or Beal or Levine, and it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. And I mean, they might not have a choice. Like they might all have to come back and and try to make it work. What do you think about the relationship with Simmons and Embiid, and do you think that can be you know, rectified I, in any way? I think winning rectifies everything. Winning re- rectifies everything. I think this notion that Joel and Ben are non-compatible, that they don't get— I, like, I, I don't necessarily believe that. I mm-hmm. think they proved last year that they can play together. Uh, again, the second round of the playoffs was bad, but they can play together— I, I think this notion that they don't get along is maybe a little misconceived, uh, misconstrued. And I, I, I could fully see them coming back, working together, and winning next season. 
it all comes down to whether or not Ben improves his game. If Ben improves his game and it produces in the playoffs, it proves results in the playoffs, then yes, it can work. We, we keep, like, I, I, I keep comparing it to the Iverson situation. The Iverson situation in 2000 was, was a mess, and he was gone. But Matt Geiger said no, and they came back, and Larry Brown and Allen Iverson got along, and it's a beautiful love story 20 years later, mm-hmm. right? Interesting. It, it can work. Interesting. Well, I, I hope you're right, and it might have to. Let's move over to baseball now, Dave. As the Phillies win their third straight, they pulled within a game and a half of the New York Mets in this brutally dreadful division, one game over 500. Um, first of all, the trade deadline fills at Ian Kennedy, Freddie Galvis, Kyle Gibson. What do you think of their moves, and do you think it's enough to win this division? I, I like the additions that they made. Uh Improved their bullpen, improved their rotation. Somebody who actually pitched into the seventh inning was really nice. Freddie Galvis is a fan favorite. Uh, he, he, Frankly, it would be great to see him win as a Philly because while he was a fan favorite, he didn't win anything a, as a Philly. And um, he could improve. What's that? Who's here for a bad era? He, he was. He, he started in 12, which was their first year after they, they were really good. Uh, and and he can improve their defense, which we know is a weakness for them. So I, I love I love all the moves. I think the moves are great. The one thing that that I that that stands out to me though, in addition to to the moves being obviously good, Pat, uh, moving on from Spencer Howard, like I get it, but there's just something about that that just de- defines the Phillies. Another example of a homegrown pitcher that they simply couldn't develop. It's just another example. Uh, in, in in the over 100-year history of this team and this team's inability to, to develop homegrown pitchers, Spencer Howard, for whatever reason, is another example. And that's just, I don't know, that's not a good story for the Phillies. It's now, just not. So do you, you, you find validity in those comments Spencer Howard made? Because obviously he goes to Texas. Yeah. And he seemed very happy and didn't really make any secrets about being happy about being out of Philadelphia. You think the Phillies are more to blame for that situation going down the way way it did? History proves that that's the case. If this was a franchise that regularly developed homegrown pitchers, then I could say, well, you know, Spencer... You didn't. You were. You you had to eat your 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 energy bars, or you you know you got winded, or you had a blister, or for whatever your velocity dipped. All these reasons, but no. I mean, this this franchise in the past, you know, thirty years, Cole Hamels, Aaron Nola, who we all know has his ups and downs, and that's really about it in terms of homegrown pitchers in the last thirty years. So here's a guy who was a second round pick, who was your top prospect. Who's got gas? Who's got 97 miles an hour? And for and you couldn't decide whether or not to start him or to put him in the bullpen or to start him or to put him in the bullpen. And he couldn't go past the third inning or the fourth inning. And I don't know. Until the Phillies prove otherwise that they can actually develop players on a regular basis, then this is just another example of of a homegrown pitcher that didn't work out. Now the story. Oh, and by the way, yeah, I I, I didn't mean to. Sorry for interrupting. You, don't worry about. But it. something that has not been talked about. Much. Do you know who also was was traded in in these deals? I forget which one it was, but he was also traded. Kevin Gowdy. Yes, second round. Second round from 2016. Texas deal. Thank you, Mike. That 2016 draft has set the Phillies back at least five years. Why not Mick? No, and that no that including including Mickey Moniak. That draft has set the Phillies back at least five years. Where'd you go five years? 
I, I just I like that number. It, 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 it <laughs> sets go. it back at least five years, and here's why. Do you know who they passed to take Moniac and Kevin Gowdy? Gowdy's unfortunately had injuries. I know Ian Anderson is a guy they could have had. Pete Alonso. Uh, I think I think the guy from the Pittsburgh Pirates who crushed him over the weekend, Reynolds, was he 2016? No, uh, Reynolds I thought was traded for McCutcheon. No, I think I think Reynolds was 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 the 2016. I know if, I know Bieber you... was 2016. Bichette was 2016. All these guys in the second round that the Phillies passed on, they had the number one pick in the draft. They had the no, they could have picked anybody with the number one pick, and they had a high second round pick, and they passed on Alonzo. Bichette, Bieber, who has won a Cy Young. Alonzo's won a Rookie of the Year and two home run derbies, and he's in your division. Bichette is a great player. I, I just I can't understand how, how that scouting department missed on all those players. I just don't get that 16 draft. I hope Mickey Moniak works out because he, he's, he he's a good kid. He I hope he works out. But that, dra- <laughs> that draft is so bad on this organization and, you know, they're moving on from Gowdy. He, you know, he's no longer with the team. Moniak has been up and down, super inconsistent. <laughs> that draft is, I mean, if you want a draft that defines the Philadelphia Phillies franchise, just go to 2016 and all the players that they missed on in that draft. Well, when you go to their development, uh, what would you have there, Mike? Well, because in the second round also with the Red Sox, Dave Dombrowski took C.J. Chatham. He tried trade for like, he did trade for him in the offseason, tried making him work in spring training, and he was terrible. They had to cut him here. So uh, yeah. Dave Dombrowski didn't do much better. And, and when you look at the development, like, did you see the Hans Kraus guy they got in that trade? Yeah. He was the 19th-ranked prospect in Texas. He gets traded here. He's a fourth-ranked prospect <laughs> immediately. And we're not talking about the Dodgers or the Rays or right. an organization that churns out prospects. We're talking about the Texas Rangers. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I, I just I, I don't know why the Phil. I look at teams like the Rays and all these prospects they have. Right, and the Pirates bring up all these kids and then trade them away. I just don't understand how the Phillies can't get a regular group of prospects that contribute in the major leagues. Yeah, uh, you know Cornelius Randolph. Hopefully, he comes up eventually. He hasn't been up yet. Hazley, I don't know what his what the the personal reason that he left for was, but in the major okay. leagues, he wasn't he wasn't producing. Uh, Moniac, how many years did Hazley set them back? I'm, I'm not putting the number on that one yet because of the personal thing. Um, but, you know, I, Bohm looks like he's going to be okay. I think Bohm's going to be okay. Stott seems exciting. But that draft, that's, it was Klentak's first draft. Johnny Almaraz was involved with that draft. I'm t- that, that draft is going to sting the Phillies for a long time. They could have, they had two picks, and they could have had players like Alonzo and Bichette and Bieber. I just, I don't. Well, they would have messed up Bieber because they don't develop pitchers. Exactly. So Bieber wouldn't have worked. (laughs) Exactly. And just a couple football ones before uh, we get out of here, Dave. Um, Javelin Hurts, so far at camp, it seems like mixed reviews. He's had some good days. He's had some bad days. Would that concern you at this point that you haven't seen more consistency from Jalen? No. I I mean, I I haven't been down to camp, so I haven't seen him. Like like you, I've read some good reviews about him, some not-so-good reviews about him, some good days, some bad days. There's videos out there of him going through drills and him missing, like a, like they have this like they have this like circled target that they have that he has to pass into. Bleeding Green Nation had this, and he and he missed. No, I I, I want to see him in a game. Like I want to see him in a preseason game. I want to see him in a regular season game. 
I want to see him when teams game plan and scheme. Um, nah, I'm not putting anything on, on these camp practices. One one guy who, unfortunately, it doesn't look like we'll see in the preseason now, Devontae Smith, yeah. dealing with the knee sprain. They say week to week, say it's not a big deal. How concerning should this be for the Eagles, the fact we're already dealing with these injuries with Devontae Smith? I think it's concerning. I, I mean, I think you have to listen to what they say and that they're not overly concerned. But, I, I mean, I, he's missing reps. I mean, right now he's missing reps. He's probably not going to play next week against the Steelers. Uh, I assume he would have played because he's a rookie, um, even though he's their number one receiver. But, it, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not good. You know, hopefully he can bounce back quickly uh, because I, I think while the stories this training camp are Sirianni and Hurts, I think the player that everybody was really excited to see, the most excited to see, was Devontae Smith. So it's a shame. It is. The first week he can't be gets a knee injury. That's a shame. Yeah, so uh, it's certainly disappointing. And then thoughts on Sirianni, what you've heard out of him so far, stopping practice the other day, gathering the team together. Uh, what are your early impressions of him based on what you've heard him say? I like that he, it, it appears he has his own method, and I, and I like that. I like that as a rookie head coach, he's sticking by what he's confident doing. And even though it seems a little bit unconventional, I like it. I know Chip was unconventional and Chip just no. flat out didn't work. But Chip didn't work for a lot of other reasons. So I like that Sirianni seems different so far. I like that he's stopping practice and holding players accountable for things that are not going well. I think that that's a good sign. Okay. Well, Dave, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, Dave Uram, KYW News Radio, morning morning anchor reporter. Uh, what do you have coming up this morning? We're going to recap the Phillies win. Another exciting Phillies win. They're a game and a half out of first place. Mm-hmm. We'll recap the win and all their home runs, and they had to do it with a bullpen that was extremely compromised yesterday. Um, and we'll talk more Eagles training camp stories. And, and, I, and I know I know that it probably hasn't been talked about a lot on on here, and, and I understand. But we will also have your Olympic coverage too. There you go. All right, Simone Biles returned to action. Yep, that was yesterday, and, and overnight a couple of uh, American runners won gold and and silver. So okay, Sydney well. McLaughlin and and Dalila Muhammad. So. All right, well, sounds good. Well, oh, Dave- and, and the tr- and, and uh, the exciting story from yesterday. What was that? The nineteen year old team from Trenton, a thing Mo. You, don't, uh, you didn't hear about I that? I did not hear. I no, don't know a 19-year-old, a thing Mo from Trenton, okay. won the won the 800 meter and was the first American woman to do so since 1968. There How you cool go. is that? That is awesome. Well, thank you for filling us in, Dave. Ending on that positivity. <laughs> there you go. That's Dave Uram. Find him on Twitter at Mr. Uram, KYW. At Mr. Uram is his Twitter account. He works for KYW News Radio. So thank you to Dave Uram for hopping on for a few minutes. We'll be back next week. It's all love in the end. We're going to get into some Eagle stuff when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. In a minute, we will get to some notes from Eagles training camp. We'll hear some sound from Jalen Rager, Nick Sirianni, and we got to get into what happened at Giants training camp on 
Tuesday, a big brawl. And of course, that I, I feel like Joe Judge, you'd think he'd love a nice brawl, but apparently not. So we'll get to that in a minute. But first, um, we had a we had a supersized Gabe check in yesterday, so we had to split it into two parts. We do have another Gabe check in coming up next. Mike, anything that you would like to promote for your uh, for your Gabe Kapler check in yesterday it was it was nice to hear Gabe back. I, I tweeted out that picture of Gabe yeah. um, in the on the bicycle with the holes in the jeans, looking very statuesque, very uh, male model like. Um, what do we have that you want to uh, get the people ready for today? We'll hear Gabe sing the praises of a pitcher the Phillies cut this year that helped the Giants win a ball game Monday night. Okay. Uh, so we'll hear from Gabe coming up in the next segment. Oh, we'll also have a dog take from Gabe. A dog take? is the, yeah. Gabe would strike me as a big dog guy. I'm sure Gabe would Well, he'll, he'll get into why his lifestyle doesn't really fit having a dog. Okay, I think I can. I think I can deduce why, <laughs> uh, you know. But we'll hear it straight from the Kapler's mouth coming up. Coming up next, and yes, I know it's it's from the horse's mouth. I appreciate that very useful correction earlier, Mike. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. But I did want to get to the Eagles here. Um, as far as what's happened at practice, the news and notes from the last couple days, really the universal. Um, report that I've heard from multiple people coming in. I was listening to Jody. He had Brandon Lee Gowton on and Brandon Lee Gowton in line with many of the other reporters confirming that this left tackle competition is not really much of a competition that already it seems pretty obvious that Jordan Mulata is going to win this job and going to win this job handily. Um, that Jordan Mulata is you know, looking good at camp again. Um, that's obviously very encouraging to see. I was really impressed with the way he played last year. Um, for a guy who, obviously, they've been developing him for a few years now, but the football experience is extremely limited. And Jordan Mulata, I thought, when he came in for Jason Peters last year, played very, very well. Um, and the fact that he's kind of carried that into camp, and this is not even in comparison to Dillard, but just as far as the way Mulata's played, he has gotten the better of a lot of um, good defensive ends. I mean, there I was listening to the Birds with Friends podcast coming in. They had said that uh, he basically flattened uh, Brandon Graham during a team drill, that Mulata was, was dominating uh, a lot of the better defensive ends on this team, um, and that's obviously encouraging to see. On the other side of things, Andre Dillard does not look good. Um, he is getting beat up in the one-on-ones, doesn't look good in the team drills, and all the Eagles beat writers basically saying the same thing. This competition is over. If if this is going to be decided on merit in any way, Jordan Mulata is going to win this job and Andre Dillard uh, will be a reserve. Now, you can look at that in a couple ways, and this is like such an interesting way to look at Howie Roseman. Is I'm sure a lot of people look at it and say, another squandered first-round pick. 
and I get it. Like, you can look at it that way. And drafted Jill Dillard in the first round, trading up for him, does look like it was a terrible pick. But Jordan Mulata was a seventh-round draft pick that they have brought in and they have developed and they have made into a guy who I think can be an elite tackle in this league. So in many ways, I think it kind of cancels out. As bad as the Dillard pick was, the Mulata pick looks like it was a real steal. So that is one of the things that we've seen so far in camp. Mulata appears to win that battle. Also, some really positive reports on Zach McPherson, the third-round pick of the Eagles this year, a cornerback that has come in, um, and apparently he really was impressive yesterday in practice. Uh, Had some really nice plays on a couple of the receivers, and who knows, could be playing himself into a role this year. Obviously, with the Steven Nelson signing, McPherson seems relatively far down on the depth chart. It's assumed that Avante Maddox will be the inside slot corner, but if McPherson continues to impress, that uh, is obviously needed depth because beyond those three guys, cornerback is one of the Eagles' biggest weaknesses, and McPherson is impressed so far. Also, some positive reports in terms of Travis Fulgham at practice um, and what he has done so far. Apparently, he got the best of Darius Slay a couple times yesterday. Uh, no big plays yesterday from from big play Slay, um, but. Uh, Travis, hopefully saving them all for the regular season. He, he didn't make any last. He made one last year. So he hasn't made any training camp this year so far. So hopefully all those big plays that big play Slay has been talking about, hopefully he's just saving them all up for this season. Was it even a big play last year? It was a, you know, but he tweeted yeah. about it like all night. Like they really? just got their asses kicked by the Cowboys. It was that second to last game against the Cowboys. And he's like retweeting. Yeah. No, like, I, this I, clip I, billions of times that night. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, I thought you were I thought you were a big play slay guy. Since when? Maybe I'm who am I mixing you up with? I don't know. I thought I thought he's you were He's whatever. He's you know, he's fine. Okay. He's, he's a very capable starting cornerback, okay. but that's it. Maybe I'm misremembering. I thought you were you, you thought I was being too hard on big play slay. Um No, I right. actually kinda of thought uh remember last night I remarked to you like some point you gotta get over the Matt Patricia thing. Like yeah, he basically, they asked him if he'd be up for the Detroit game. He's like, I would be if Patricia was there. Like, everybody who played for the Lions during that time, it, Patricia sounds like the worst coach yeah, ever to play for. It just, I mean, he just seemed like a, um, he was in over his head. and was it, Like, he was doing the Joe Judge stuff thing. Yeah. Like, without being, I don't know, without, without like, being able to. Without winning all six games, yeah. No, I mean, like, like without it having, like, um. It like be genuine in his gut. It feels like like Joe Judge is like this is that's who he is. All right, okay. Patricia being phony. We'll get the we'll get the judge in a minute. I know you're anxious to get to your boy Joe Judge. But oh boy. He, he is your boy. Um, but uh, as far as the Eagles go, obviously the Devontae Smith injury is disappointing. I was really looking forward to see him in the preseason. Uh, and I think Dave's Dave Uram is right in the last segment when you talk about Jalen Hurts, Sirianni. When you look at the preseason. I think everybody was most excited to see Devontae Smith and to see, you know, him out there on the field. A first-round pick that people are almost universally excited about, which is very rare for the Eagles. Usually their picks are always surrounded by some sort of controversy. You know, some people are adamantly against it and there are question marks. But Devontae Smith... Everybody was excited to watch him play. Now, a knee injury, he's week to week, 
and hopefully he's good to go for the Atlanta game. Uh, they are downplaying it for now. Um, we'll revisit this, I suppose, in a few weeks when Devontae Smith uh, improves a little bit. But obviously, with him out, the Eagles are going to desperately need guys like Travis Fulgham and guys like Jalen Rager step up. And that's why Jalen Rager coming in, you know, it was disappointing to hear that he had failed his conditioning test. You know, that's obviously not something you want to see from a guy who is a a year removed from being a first-round pick and underperformed in year one, dealt with injuries, certainly, but is really under pressure to succeed this season, and especially when you look at what has happened with a guy like J.J. Arthega-Whiteside, who I don't think is going to even make this team, uh, you need Jalen Rager to really step up. Now, you do need to look at it with context and the fact that Jalen Rager lost a close friend last week. He's been dealing with that. Part of the reason why he failed his conditioning test. Um, here was Rager uh, when asked at his press conference yesterday about how he's doing in the wake of his friend's death. That's, that's like, that was like a little brother to me, so... It was, you know, it was it was hard to deal with, and then you know Saturday was his funeral, so I wasn't able to be there. But it was, you know, it's just it's hard to deal with. But in a mental state, I'm I'm doing I'm doing way better. And you know, in, in instead of just kind of letting him practice, Nick Sirianni, uh, as he failed his conditioning test, um, made him work his way up to it, made him pass the test, and did not just allow him to go out and practice. Here was Jalen Rager on how he took that from the head coach. You know, I just appreciate Coach holding me accountable for, you know, all the things that's going on. But like I said, that's all in the past. And uh, I'm just looking forward to the future. And I'm out on the field now. So that's what I'm pretty much focused on. And I think that's important. Like, obviously, you understand the situation Jalen Rager's going through. Um, and obvious, and honestly, not being totally ready first day of camp is not that big of a deal. Like, he's already back on the field. He's already practicing. That's not something that I'm going to make a real big deal over the Kid just went through a tragedy. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think it's this egregious thing that he doesn't pass his conditioning test on the first day of camp. Um, but the support of the team and the support of Nick Sirianni, something Jalen Rager says, has been really important to him. Here's Jalen Rager on the support he's received. Um, like I said, being around, you know, this is like, this is like where I can get away because, you know, you go home, you have family, you know, checking on you and asking you are you okay and then you know I get I go in the locker room and I have seven of my teammates you know checking on me but they're also making sure I'm in good spirits so it's helped and then with the with the head coach doing the same thing I mean like I said that's that's big on every you know every standard and this is a thing with Nick Sirianni where I do believe it's going to play to his benefit where this personal approach where he seems for lack of a better phrase here the emotional intelligence thing, which is part of why the Eagles cited getting rid of Chip Kelly, is they wanted a coach who would come in and connect with players. Now, I think that was a very uh, one of Doug Peterson's strong suits was he was a player's coach. The players loved him. The players played for him. Even coming down the stretch last year, where that season was spiraling out of control, players could have quit. They did not quit on Doug. And while the Eagles felt it was necessary to move on because of, you know, the stagnant offense, the fact that they had never really recaptured that magic they had in 2017, I do think that was 
an uh, an attribute that they were still very interested in getting from their head coach. And it's one that Nick Sirianni brings because he's another guy who really connects with his players and finds that to be an important part of his job. And what Nick Sirianni did the other day, I thought was really interesting. When I believe it was Friday, it might have been Saturday, but the Eagles are having a lackluster practice. And Sirianni uh, basically shuts things down brings everybody to the middle, and kind of addresses the team in full. Here was Nick Sirianni on why he chose to stop practice at that point. You know, I just wanted practice to finish uh, the way we wanted to finish. There's so many games in the NFL that come down to the last drive, right? And so I just wanted it to finish strong. And I felt like the defense was having a, a good day, and the offense was having a below average day. And just wanted them to know that, hey, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, when we get into the fourth quarter and it's tight, you always got to play the next play and the next play and the next play. And you can't you can't think about what's going to happen in two plays from now or next drive. And you sure as heck can't think about what happened the, the play before. And it was just a good example of how a season goes. There's ups and downs in the season. There's ups and downs in the game. There's ups and downs in practice. It's just about how you finish and play the next play. And, and I just thought that was a good opportunity to talk about that with the team. And, you know, I think that is a, a good way to handle it. When you're not having a good practice, you're not seeing things you want to see, you address the team, but you treat them like adults. You know, you bring them together and you say, guys, this isn't acceptable right now. Let's get back. Let's finish strong. And according to all reports, the rest of the practice was pretty crisp. Here was Ryan Kerrigan on how he felt the rest of practice went following Nick Sirianni kind of stopping things. I think the response was good. I mean, I, the last uh, last couple periods I know were, uh, were, were pretty intense, and I felt like the execution was, was crisper. And um, I guess, you know, I guess we'll see on the tape, but that was at least the sense I got, you know, and when we were actually out there. Now, that's the way you handle it when your team is not performing the way you want them to perform. You treat them like adults and you 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 talk to them, you connect with them, and you will likely get results. Like professional athletes and really any adult in general wants to be treated like an adult. And I think that's uh, an important aspect of Nick Sirianni and him connecting to his players and and being one of them rather than being you know somebody who thinks he's above the players or some sort of tyrant and you compare that to what happened in New York on uh on Tuesday where this story is pretty funny where there was a brawl that broke out at New York Giants practice on Tuesday where um so it was actually Corey Clement uh, who gets tackled. Corey Clement is a giant now, if you did not know that. Um, but he gets tackled. Uh, Evan Ingram, I believe, took exception to it. Uh, went after a defensive player. And this caused a big brawl at Giants practice. This is something that happens during training camp. Like, this is an incident that you'll see at any training camp every year, guys get into fights. There was an incident a couple years ago, maybe it was last year actually, with Derek Barnett and Andre Dillard. Like, these are things that happen over the course of training camp. 
And you know what happens? You move on. And Nick Sirianni, I don't have the sound, but Nick Sirianni addressed it. And he basically was asked about how he feels about training camp fights. And he said, you know, we move on and we deal with it. And you, you, you move forward. But what Joe Judge decided to do in handling this, uh, and we do have that. Here's Nick Sirianni actually uh, talking about how he'd handle that sort of situation. So, and that's a mature way to handle it, and that these things are going to happen in football. Now, this brawl at Giants camp. Now, Daniel Jones, and and there's a great tweet thread that I'll I'll read right now from uh, Ralph Vecchiano, covers the Giants. He says, full team brawl at Giants camp with quarterback Daniel Jones somehow at the bottom of the pile. Apparently, Daniel Jones had jumped into this thing. Well, what a dope he is. What a, you know, what kind of quarterback uh, is going to jump in the middle of a brawl at training camp? Um, but he says, Joe Judge is absolutely livid. He's got the players lined up now, ready to run. Uh, he said, after doing 100-yard runs and not hard enough for Joe Judge's liking, they are now lined up on the goal line doing push-ups. There's dead silence except for Joe Judge's whistle and his expletives. So many expletives. And it's basically like, who is Joe Judge trying to be here? Is he trying to be Herb Brooks? Like, like what a dope. I mean, Nick Syria, like, training camp roles happen all the time. And this is why, as I said the other night, the Giants are going to finish last in this division. Because this Joe Judge is going to be a disaster. You know, he can keep crying about not making the playoffs after winning six games. Uh, you know, sorry, you went six and ten. You did not qualify, Joe. That was not enough. It's not because the Eagles tanked the final game of the season. It's because your team sucked. And like, what kind of coach at the NFL level does this? Where you make guys run wind sprints, you make them do a, a, a ton of push-ups, and that's why you know Nick Sirianni. Like when you don't see what you like at practice, you gather the guys up, you talk to them, and you go back to work. Like adults like being treated like adults. They don't like being treated like children. This is not something that is going to go over well. Like when things start going bad for the Giants which they certainly will. You think these guys are going to stick together as this disciplinarian Joe Judge is, oh, you know what? You you didn't hold on to that ball? Go run a mile. He's, what is he trying to be, Coach Herman Boone or something? He Home did a good football, job last year. Like, what's your, I don't get the, what you have against Joe Judge. Like, he did a good job last year. How did he do a good job? They went 6-10. and 10. But they weren't a good team. Like, they were not, like, Daniel Jones stunk, and he, he like, got something out of that defense and, um, you know, Piecing together wins. They were in a terrible division. Like how yeah, many games they, they win they the were, NFC? Tom, teams? they had like a three-win roster. Like they were not a good team. No, nobody in the division was good. Right. They and they won instead of three games, they won six. Like I, I don't, I don't get it. Like I think they're going to be a disaster. I think this coach is going to be an absolute but how, nightmare. Like, the, the players like it, so I don't understand. Like if Logan Ryan said, you know, it was, they were taking on the personality of the coach, so. You know, if the players are fine, like, why Why does that mean it's going to be a disaster? They're right okay now? with it for now. Watch when things start going bad. When things start going bad and you lose a couple games and the guy starts being, you know, Mr. Hard-Ass and a disciplinarian, let's see if they like it so much. They started, like, 0-5 last year and rallied. How did it work with a guy like Chip who didn't treat players like adults? 
it doesn't work. Well, like, that's different. Joe Judge is at least has been in you know an NFL you know coaching room and all that. What He's is been that a coach. About? I mean, Bill, Bill Belichick's coaching tree is not is not impressive. Like just because okay, you've but been I mean, or, just because you've been in the NFL doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach. I don't think just because like Al Groh failed, I don't think that means that like Joe Judge is now destined to fail. This guy's the next Matt Patricia. That's my that's my take. But he's not like he's he already established he had, that he's not. He had one season. Matt Patricia. The players sure have his, his back. I'm sure Matt. The Patricia players don't had have Patricia's six back. Six and ten season at some. But point. he never had the, the players never had his back at any point though. Is the difference? They, they have his back for now. We'll see if it he's in year this. two. We'll see if it plays out. I, I I'm telling you, it's not going to work. Like we, we we what's our Joe? We can make a Joe Judge bet. I will bet that he won't get fired this year. I will bet they. What, what, what about six and a half? You want to bet six and a half wins? You want to go over? I'll take the under on that. No, no, no. Because you're saying it's going to be a disaster. So I'm saying the bet should be that he's not going to be fired. Uh, I, I'll bet they finish last in the division. How about that? All right. Is that fair enough? Yeah, deal. Yeah. Uh, you big Joe Judge guy. What's not really. On? I just I don't and, get why you railroad this guy. He's a I good coach. He's, I think he's a clown. And, like, can you pull up that, that statement he, he said again about the Eagles tanking, please? I, I can't hear. I can't hear this. Anymore. I thought you were gonna. Your no, favorite. Uh, who am I? No. 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 Not that one. I want the one where he will never disrespect the integrity of the game. That's the one. The one where he's so upset about the Eagles tanking. Here was Joe Judge at the end of the season on the Eagles that final game of the season. That's your guy, Mike. That's that's your boy right there, Joe Judge. What's Hard the issue with Joe that? Judge? What's wrong with what he said there? Like, uh, uh, I just the don't like, just... doing what was best for them. Like, of course, yeah. of course they're gonna. Okay, they pull out their starting quarterback. You're gonna cry. Win another game, dude. Stop crying about the Eagles. Okay. You know, losing the final game of the season. He's talking he to his players. He's not destiny. talking to Eagles fans. He's talking to his players. He, no, he was, ta- he, was, he was taking a shot at the Eagles, very clearly. Yeah, but he's like he's trying to send the message to the team of like, you know, we're like we're gonna be the hardest. We team. will never do that. Yeah, right. As long as I'm the coach of the New York Giants. Joe Judge. Oh my god, what a fraud. This guy is the worst. I, well, what I, makes I, him a fraud? Like I, he's I being just, real. Because this hard ass act is so pathetic. It's just phony. But it's you phony. can't say it's fraud if you don't like you know like I think this is him. Like it seems real. Okay, well, whatever. We'll see. What well, what makes him a fraud? I just I think he's a phony. I think he's a total phony. I think he's a loser, and this team is going to stink. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. I'm sure Adrian's out there. He's late getting all fired up by his boy Joe Judge. Uh, let's see how many games they win this year. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Next up, we'll do the Gabe Kapler check in. We're here from Gabe coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio ninety four WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for another couple segments here. Talk to Al for the overlap show coming up around 520-ish. Time, though, for our Gabe Kapler 
check in. Uh, what did the Giants do last night, Mike? Were they they were in action? I'm sure on a Tuesday night. Everybody plays on Tuesday night, don't they? They did. Yeah, they got beat by an old foe. Oh, Mad Bum. Mad oh, Bum really? pitching like it's you know 2012. The Arizona Diamondbacks, huh? Yeah, your D backs. They how long was that losing streak that they had? Twenty four games. Well, it was a road one. Oh, right. This was at the Bob or whatever they call it now, Chase Field, I think. Okay, uh, I, I've seen that stadium from the outside. I've never been in it, but when I flew to uh, Arizona, flying into the Phoenix Airport, right there, looks like a looks like a nice park. Hmm. That's that's I've seen that's, it from TV, and that's really that, it. that's my review. I saw it from uh, you know a few miles away. So what what do we got from Gabe today? Well, I wanted to go back and um, we can enjoy again because it was so good and may have been buried with the other stuff we played. Gabe talking about how he eats steak and eggs all day, twice a day, or you know, you know twice a day instead of all day, but just so good. With respect to my eating habits, they're they're pretty they're pretty silly. I I have been mostly like red meat and eggs for a really long time now. Um, kind of eating twice a day, once before the game and once after the after the game. Um, but then when I feel like splurging and eating whatever I want to, like yesterday I went out and ate sushi and, and drank beer with my son Chase, which was a lot of fun. We really enjoyed that. And um, I don't restrict myself or limit myself. It's just more like when I'm on point and when I'm kind of in my daily practice. It's pretty simple just to eat, um, you know, kind of a steak and eggs before the game and a steak and eggs after the game. Gabe's just a steak and eggs kind of guy. and But when he's hanging out with Chase, sushi and beer kind of guy. Yeah, so steak and eggs, except for when it's not steak and eggs. Right. Um, I thought, too, because Gabe's detailed for us before how exactly he takes his eggs. This is from your favorite podcast uh, about a year and a half ago, um, Shelter on Base. Okay. Remember that? Uh, in the box. Yeah. yeah. So I figured let's revisit how Gabe makes his steak and eggs. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Very, uh, went very in depth into how exactly he eats his steak and eggs. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Just didn't want to lose, um, lose sight of that steak and eggs. Uh, you know, all these nuggets he gives us. Okay. Um, here's what a take on dogs. For some reason, they asked him what his dream dog would be. And, uh, he actually gave him a chance to point out a dog he finds underrated. I, I am a, I'm a pit bull lover. I feel like pit bulls get the, the worst possible rap. It's like, it's just bull****. They're great dogs. They're loyal. They're sweet. They're warm. They're affectionate. They're athletic. I just think it's an it's an incredible breed. And and I had um, I had a pit bull for a long time, and uh, it was like my hiking partner, right? For for six years, like every every time I went on a hike, I had this pit bull with me. So uh, that's an easy one for me. It doesn't mean that I don't love other breeds. Uh, I love dogs in general, but but pits are are where my heart is. I wish that my lifestyle was a little bit more um, dog friendly. You know, we'd go on the road for two weeks. I, I just can't see a scenario where, even though I wanted to take all those dogs home when I visited the rescue, you can't, right? Because then you're just putting them in a position where they're not going to be taken care of. And 
Um, so I hope at some point my lifestyle makes it easier for me to own a dog again because um, I would absolutely love that. Gabe was pretty passionate about that pit bull take. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like uh, his past pit, pit bull was his buddy. Maybe that's where Gabe and Al can find common ground because Al, you know, does not like uh, hearing the Gabe sound. Um, but Al's a big dog guy, so maybe Alan, Alan Gabe could have some uh, steak and eggs and, and, you know, talk about dogs or something. Yeah, maybe. Um, this one's an actual baseball one. Tony Watson, if you recall, did not make Left-handed. the Phillies. Right. Yeah, did not make the Phillies. Was in camp. Basically, on a try- it was a minor league deal that they could have converted to, you know, $3 million. They chose Brandon Kinsler over him. Oh, great. It was DFA. He's de- <laughs> yeah, Kinsler's gone. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, Watson out. Watson was with the Angels and then traded the trade deadline back to the Giants where he spent last year. And he got a couple of big outs in Monday night's win. Four outs uh, after the Giants were kind of, um, you know, struggling. They blew a lead. And here's Gabe on, um, oh, there's a new toe in town, even though he's not in this town. Okay. He calls Tony Watson toe. Okay. So We've kind of come across this theme of how uh, we're, we're bringing in unselfish players, and, and that's sort of how our, our team is functioning right now. Uh, Chris Bryant started this with being willing to play any position, being willing to be moved around in games, hit anywhere in the lineup. And, and Tony Watson is, is not a guy that we intended to have his first outing be uh, an outing where he touched two innings and, and we extended him. Uh, we kind of wanted to get him a landing that, that set him up for success. And we did to some degree, but um, I think one thing that's notable is, is he was just entirely unselfish last night. To your point, he, he had a great outing, but he was willing to go out, go out for even an additional inning for us. And um, he threw the ball. Well, ball's coming out good, better than it came out for us last year. And we have a lot of confidence in Tony. There you go. Nice. So, so, uh, you know, and Gabe doesn't follow the script. He'll, he'll, you know, change it up on the fly and, Sometimes you just got to ride your guy a little further. Whatever your gut says. Be right. a gut guy. Right, exactly. Uh, do we have anything else from Gabe today? No, nah, that was it. That's it? All right. Well, that was nice to hear from Gabe uh, this week, and we'll see if he's uh, if he pops back up next week anywhere. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. When we get back, we'll uh, go over some of the things we've been discussing, and also I need to follow up on the Carson Wentz situation in Indianapolis because another veteran quarterback – um, has been linked to the Colts, and he is uh, adding to the speculation uh, as far as whether he would consider a return. So we'll get to that coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. For WIP, I'm Tom Kelly with you for one more segment here. If you want to get in, time to squeeze in a call or two, 215-592-9494. It's tonight talking about uh, Ben Simmons a little earlier on as the negotiations seem to have stalled. It it appears as if um, Ben Simmons could very possibly um, end up needing to come back to Philadelphia. I, I still believe the Sixers want to trade him um, and would prefer to trade him. Um, but at this point, with the deals not out there, the market really not materializing, uh, those options are limited. I mean, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, some of the names that you thought may be on the market, 
Uh, doesn't look like that's going to happen, at least at this point. Who knows? Maybe, you know, Damian Lillard gets back from the Olympics, kind of surveys the situation in Portland and decides, you know, that's not a spot where he wants to be and maybe things pick back up. But as of now, it doesn't seem like things are headed in that direction. And um, it's going to be an uncomfortable situation if the Sixers need to bring Ben Simmons back. Like, they can't trade him for less than market value. If, if D'Angelo Russell is like the best player you can get back for Ben Simmons, you can't trade Ben Simmons. Like you got to just keep him at that point and you need to try to make it work at least until the trade deadline when theoretically his value could go back up and then you could, you could move him. But I don't think it's a very healthy situation. I don't think it's a situation that will work very, very well. I think especially when Joel Embiid, and Doc Rivers make the kind of comments they made after Game 7, I just don't know how they, you come back from that. Where I don't think the trust is there with Embiid as far as trusting Simmons on the floor, and after Embiid kind of throws him under the bus after the game, I don't know how Simmons comes back and trusts Embiid. So I don't think this situation uh, is a great one for the Sixers right now. Daryl Morey kind of doing the, all this as publicly as he has. I don't think has done the Sixers any favors, and the market certainly has not been what he thought it would be. So we've been discussing that. Phillies, as they beat the, the Nationals 5-4, to four, they end up winning. They are now a game and a half out in the NL East as the Mets lose once again. Phillies a game over 500. Um, and as far as the bullpen stuff went, went exactly how we predicted. Um, Ian Kennedy was not available. Girardi has to end up going to Alvarado in the ninth. And, I mean, it worked out. He got lucky. But still, Girardi did mismanage the situation over the last couple days. Um, And I think they were pretty fortunate that Alvarado was able to get the job done in the ninth because that is not the situation you want to be in with him coming in to close out those games. Also, Eagles training camp and the left tackle competition, which, according to all reports, seems to already be over. I mean, Jordan Mulata is having a very impressive camp, while Andre Dillard continues to struggle. So we've been discussing that and uh, some other things involving the Eagles. But I did want to follow up on the Carson Wentz story that we were talking about for a lot of the show last night, where Carson Wentz breaks the bone in his foot, now will need surgery, uh, and will be out 5 to 12 weeks, which, uh, and we were talking about how Carson Wentz, in my mind, is just completely cursed. And apparently he's carrying this curse with him because Quentin Nelson, uh, his teammate, all-pro guard, has the exact same injury Carson Wentz has. So maybe, who knows, maybe these injuries that the Eagles have suffered over the last three seasons, 18, 19, 20, where the whole roster gets decimated, maybe it's all because Carson. Maybe he's just cursed and he curses whatever roster he's a part of. And hopefully the Eagles will be healthy this year. Now that Carson's gone, just just... You know, some positive thinking maybe uh, that the Eagles uh, might stay healthy for one season. But obviously the Fonte Smith injury already uh, does not bode well in that regard. But um, a lot of talk about Nick Foles yesterday. And this was talked about uh, this morning on ESPN's Get Up. Uh, Here was Mike Tannenbaum, former NFL GM, Dolphins, Jets, uh, talking about whether he thinks the Colts should go out and go after Nick Foles. 
So Dan Orlovsky is saying to relax. If you were sitting where Chris Ballard is sitting right now, would you be relaxed? No, I'm doing the exact opposite. And here's why, Greeny. I have literally looked around the world for the best experts in performance. And the number one factor in assessing the risk if a player is going to get hurt is their past history. And the reality is Carson Wentz has finished one season healthy as a quarterback where he started the season and ended the season. And therefore, based on those facts, Greeny, we can't relax. That's just the truth of it. We saw San Francisco do it. They had a fragile Jimmy Garoppolo. They traded up for Trey Lance. If I'm the Colts, I'm going to do everything within reason to make sure that over a 17-game marathon that I have somebody else there besides Jacob Eason. Okay, and, and so okay, so Jacob Eason would not be a satisfactory. So who is that someone else? It's easy. It's Nick Foles. He's making $4 million a year, God. Greeny, right now sitting in Chicago. And I've been there. Ryan Tannehill got hurt in a preseason uh, practice. We had to go out and beg Jay Cutler to come out of the Fox Broadcasting booth. This is someone that makes $4 million a year. He knows the offense. This is easy. He's a third-string quarterback. And that's not to say that you can't accomplish great things with Carson Wentz, but it's the right thing to do because you have to look at Carson Wentz's injury history. Oh, that's right. If only there was some history between Foles and Wentz. Oh, yeah, there's a statue in Philadelphia that should remind everyone of that. Do you like? Do you think Greeny like gives that joke and just thinks like, "Oh man, that I'm just killing it right now." Like that's what I was referencing earlier. Like, oh, of course there's like, does he think that joke is funny? Yeah, but does anyone think of Carson Wentz when they look at that statue? Like, I don't. No, I, I mean, I think you think of the whole situation. I don't think Greeny even probably knows what the statue is of from the Super Bowl. But, but like, I just imagine like him giving that joke and thinking like, "Man, I'm killing it. I'm just killing it." <laughs> Um, but the best part of that, of, of that sound, and obviously you can't see it, but if you check out the video clip is Orlovsky's head is about to explode because Orlovsky is, it's all, you know, coming, crumbling down on him right now. He's tied himself so close to this Wentz, um, bandwagon. And, you know, Orlovsky's basically the mouthpiece for Carson Wentz at this point. And he doesn't want any part of Nick Foles. Here was Dan Orlovsky on whether he thinks the Colts uh, should go after Foles. So, Dan Orlovsky, yeah. when you hear him say the Colts should go get Nick Foles, what do you think? Run away. Do not, do not, and I love Mike T. Do not listen to that. I, I knew you were going to go there, so I did my research, Mike T. First of all, the, the, the 49ers drafted Trey Lance and not, and instead of Jimmy Garoppolo because Jimmy, Jimmy J ain't good enough, okay? Like, that, that's why they drafted Trey Lance. Number two, you talked about Tannehill and Cutler. I love you. You guys went 6-8 and eight that year. Jay Cutler did not save your season. He threw for 17 touchdowns and 12 picks. So that, like, it wasn't like they, that, that saved the season. Number three, Ryan Tannehill tore his ACL. You guys knew Tannehill was done for the season. The Colts and Carson Wentz, they're looking at maybe missing a game or two is their optimistic feeling. So that's a completely different situation. Three, Nick Foles, let me say this. Greatest backup quarterback in the history of the NFL. I love Nick Foles. In the last two seasons, when he starts at quarterback, his team's averaged 17 points a game. He's 44th in the NFL in yards per attempt in the last two years and couldn't knock off Gardner Minshew and Mitchell Trubisky. Stop constantly correlating Nick Foles with Carson Wentz and it being a better option. Orlovsky just doesn't want Foles coming to... to hurt his boy Wentz. I mean, that's what that's about. Uh, and, like, I love how Carson Wentz is, like, an MVP candidate in his mind, and he says, well, Garoppolo's not good enough. Garoppolo had a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl with, like, seven minutes left. 
Like Garoppolo is very. Who do you think's better, Mike? Carson Wentz or Jimmy Garoppolo? Handsome Jimmy. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, but there's another name that's been thrown into this mix because Philip Rivers, who's coaching high school football right now, did not close the door on a return. He was asked, though, <laughs> I love the press conferences going on this week. You got Nick Foles, a third string quarterback, holding press conferences. Apparently, Philip Rivers is holding press conferences. Would Jolly, get a hold of him. <laughs> yeah, jo- Jolly would. Jolly, his head would explode if uh, if Rivers came back. Oh, if they chose Rivers over Nick Foles. Yeah, and Wentz. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but. That would be funny. I would like to see Rivers and Wentz together because, like, Rivers is one of these, like, I, I feel like down-to-earth, like, likable guys, relates to everybody. Wentz isn't that kind of guy. Well, did you hear what he said about uh, keeping his arm loose and throwing? No. When they, when they approached him about, um, you know, possibly returning, he said, uh, you know, I wouldn't have made weight, but I've been keeping my arm loose. I've been throwing in this heat. It's really, it's really easy to get a nice lather going. Honestly, that's that's the best option for the Colts. Yeah, it is. Is why not just go get Rivers? Rivers, his arm's been gone for years, and he still played pretty well last year. Yeah, I mean, if if he didn't retire, they could have like their offseason. Like they, maybe they could have used those picks on something else. Yeah, like I they were a good team. I thought Rivers played well last year, like mm-hmm. as well as he's played in a long time. Uh, so we'll continue to monitor this situation, but. It is funny because Dan Orlovsky, he looks so upset at every mention of Nick Foles' name. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll see who the Colts end up bringing in. They should bring in somebody. But that will do it for the show tonight. Thanks to Mike for producing. I'll be back on Thursday night after the first NFL game of the year. There's, I think we're carrying the Hall of Fame game uh, between the Cowboys and the Steelers on Thursday. I'll be on after that till 2 a.m. What's your pick? My pick? Uh, what's the line on that game? I, don't know. Um, I wonder if let's, there is a line. It's called out three. There. Dak's not playing, so. Ben playing? I, I highly doubt it. I doubt so, so. I, whatever. I'll take the Cowboys. Okay. okay. Uh, I'll take the points. There, whatever there, side that's on. There you go. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll have our big recap of the Hall of Fame game on Thursday night. Uh, that'll do it for the show. Uh, next up, we'll talk to Al for the Overlap Show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.